You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 574. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 17th of June, 2023. In today's episode, rescuers find four children who survived the plane crash in the Amazon jungle 40 days earlier. A Southwest worker is charged with issuing almost $2 million in phony travel vouchers. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale are risk takers. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 574 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guest Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. Captain Jeff, that's me. I'm a pilot at a major legacy airline base in the United States of America. And joining us from his studio... One thousand. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. It's just the old fellas and a beautiful, who's that beautiful young lady down there? Well... Where? I think we're going Where? to have to introduce her, and also from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, Liz Piper. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Happy, Happy Saturday. 17th Happy. of June. Have a good show, you old codgers. Ah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> all right. Well, that, that wasn't very nice well, at all. Us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Without further ado, I think uh, we need to uh, talk about some aviation news. Here we go. Stand by for news. Okay, dokie. Let's start off with this first item here. Now, I decided to lead off the news segment with this because I'm getting a lot of uh, a lot of communications coming in asking questions. me about this. Yeah, a lot of questions. Well, people, you know, with me, they have a lot of questions just to begin with. But uh, in <laughs> this questionable. case, You're very questionable. To, yeah, I am very questionable. Um, the uh, the fact that uh, this directly or could possibly directly apply to me, but it won't. But it will not. Uh, so let's uh, see here. the The headline is House Committee, the a House U.S. Um, Congress House Committee House of Representatives 
votes to raise pilot retirement age amid pilot shortage. Uh, Key points are lawmakers on the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure narrowly voted in favor of a measure to raise the mandatory retirement age for pilots from 65 to 67. And that was like a 32-31 vote. I mean, just one vote pushed it over. And again, that was just the committee. That wasn't the House of Representatives. They still have to vote on it. Uh, The vote comes as the aviation industry grapples with a shortage of pilots. The last time that Congress raised the pilot retirement age was in 2007, when it was raised from 60 to 65. And Do you like my slide there, Jeff? uh, Let me see your slide there, Liz. Oh, nice. That's a picture of me uh, just yesterday, I believe. Yeah. When I was putting on Yeah, when you just been to the barbers. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I was putting on my flying cap, uh, about to fly a trip. That's that's kind of sometimes the way I feel. Um, but you look happy. I am happy, Liz. That's the important thing. Um, okay, so uh, the committee voted uh, 63 to nothing on the proposed FAA author- reauthorization bill on Wednesday. And which reauthorization bill are we talking about? The 2018 <laughs> reauthorization bill. Wow. Well, it, last time I checked, uh, it, this is the year 2023 right now. Anyway, um, it's not clear whether the new retirement age provision will be in the final version of the bill or, or even make it to a vote in either chamber. And uh, uh, the Airline Pilots Association, ALPA, the country's biggest pilot labor union, which represents aviators at major carriers such as Delta, United, and Acme, has opposed the measure. And so let me tell you this. Um, I have been hearing about this idea, and this is as far as it's gotten, going from 65 to 67. But again, it's just a committee. There's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of opposition to raising the age to 67, and um, if it makes it past the House, and then of course it goes to the Senate, the Senate has to pass it as well. I'm just not thinking it's going to happen. Even if it does, even if after everything they finally decide, yes, we're going to bump up the age to 67. Um, I think it's going to take some time for it to actually become law and be effective. And now somebody just told me the other day that they thought they had read something that said that it might be retroactively uh, um, effective, uh, which means that those who uh, retired like myself this year, and when they, let's say they, they enact the law halfway through the next year, I could go back and get reinstated. So you mean Colonel Jeff could go and back and fly else. at American? I guess, well, let's see, Colonel Jeff, I think that he's probably, I think he's getting awfully close to 67. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think because it was, wasn't it 2020 when he Okay, retired? so yeah, it's only two years, isn't He's got to yeah. be at least 88, if not 90. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> put that picture back up there. That This is actually a picture of Colonel Jeff. Right there. Yeah, I, I say. Yeah, well, he's still a reserve uh, major, isn't he? Oh, that's true. He. Uh, well, let's see. What he flying the bald eagles? Well, no, wait a minute. That's a <laughs> lieutenant colonel. That's the exact rank that uh, I think. That's isn't that silver that we're seeing on the? Uh, on I don't. Know, I thought they were major pips. Are well, they... major is the same, but it's a uh, gold color. Oh, okay. Well, so in that case, the it... silver is a uh, lieutenant colonel. So yeah, All that's right. him right there. That's him. But he can't go back yep. to work because you got his hat. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, I mean, I would imagine he could drive by, pick up his hat, or I could send it to him, possibly. <laughs> um, but I don't think that would stop him. 
Anyway, uh, so again, I want to just be clear to everyone. <laughs> I am, if they pass the law, even before I retire, I am not going to stay until 67, unless you. there's something weird that happens that says, well, you're not going to be able to get your retirement or whatever until you stay until 67, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, so yeah, I, I have, I have plans. I have plans in my motorhome, and, you know, to start with my, my Definitely. new nomadic lifestyle. Definitely. So, I mean, your contract currently ends at 65. They'll have to rewrite your contract if they want you to work mm -hmm. for an extra couple of years. And that has to be voluntary, doesn't it? I would think so. Oh, the other thing is the IKOA is still 65. So that means oh, that mm. if we, That's the, the, old dudes like me no international and most of whom are flying the uh the wide bodies and the international stuff they won't be able to fly international heavy metal so no, that's very true they'd uh, have to move to domestic yes and kick and all you cause, youngsters out that's going to cause super all fred kinds driver of has problems. a comment jeff yeah uh super fred driver one has to wonder the motivation for the 67 change if the pilots don't overwhelmingly want it why are we pushing this sounds like a ploy to solve the pilot crisis by keeping pilots longer. That's part of it. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure that's that is the 99% of the justification. And I think that the people that are positively supporting the uh, age increase are probably the majority of people in, in my age who aren't ready to stop flying. They want to keep doing this, uh, you know, airline flying. And uh, there are, you know, a lot of people that feel that way. I don't. I mean, I love this job. Don't get me wrong. I love flying jets for a living. Uh, but I've done it for so long now. I mean, it's kind of out of my system. I'm ready to kind of you wanna, you move wanna on fly and your do RV. Else. Yeah, I want to fly my RV down the highway at 90 miles. Yeah, there, there is a certain element of, uh, you know, once you've been there and done it for a couple of decades, not much new is going to happen. You might get a new airplane come along or a new route, which is interesting for a little while. But uh, you, you kind of eventually, you, you just, you know, it's, it's like any job. Eventually it becomes repetitive. And uh, if there's nothing new on the horizon, then what's the point? You've probably already, for most of these guys, uh, you've probably already got a really nice pension pot and a lot of savings put away. So you, it's probably not a lot of monetary um, need to work on those ex two extra years. Uh, there may be a few who are <laughs> paying, you know, alimony left, right, and center. So mm -hmm. they feel obliged to uh, to keep doing that to give them something to, you know, to buy their next speedboat with or, or whatever. But uh, I can't see any major um, requirement. Uh, it's it's got to be voluntary. I mean, I can understand why it's happening. It's in a lot of countries, in particular uh, around Europe, age discrimination has got uh, a lot of backup in law, and uh, it has to be a very special case to uh, force people to retire at any age. Um, you know, you, you can, you, generally speaking, you're obliged to let them work and long as they want uh of course for us uh, it's very much a case of health uh and from that point of view uh certainly when they advance the age from 60 to 65 over here um they did uh it with the uh, with a lot of medical data on the occurrences of incapacitations or major health problems 
amongst aircrew. And um, they said, well, the, the graph doesn't really take a big upturn until you're approaching 70. So what they said was back then, we're going to give a, ourselves a five-year buffer so that uh, we're five years prior to that major uptick. And um, so we're going to, we can justify moving it from 60 to 65. That still gives you five years before you start getting major health problems. Um, so I think that is fair. Um, as health um, technology improves, that is bound to move to the right a little bit because we know that you know longevity is on the increase. So people are going to be around a lot longer. They may not want to give up work so soon. Uh, and particularly for those who might have had a late career change. I can understand that if you've moved to the airline industry in your 40s, as we've seen a lot of our listeners do, asking for advice about, oh, I want to, you know, I've, I've been a dentist all these years. I've saved it this money. I've got a private pilot certificate, and I'm really interested now in perhaps seeing if I can manage to become a, a you know, a full-blown commercial pilot ATPL. Um, they might want to go, well, I've started a new career. I want to make that, you know, a reasonable length of time now because I'm really enjoying it. You know, that's the sort of person that I can see wanting to have an extra couple of years. But really and honestly, an extra two years, what's that? It's not a great deal. I agree with you. Um, most of us at our age right now are, are have our financial houses in order for the uh, upcoming retirement, a, a very, very tiny number or percentage, as you mentioned, Nick might have multiple marriages and a lot of alimony and a lot of whatever. I mean, it could be a lot of different circumstances yeah. in their lives where they just have to keep working because they got to keep that money coming in as long as they can. Mm. Uh, and, but you know, I think a big part of it, and I don't think it's as a much of a, uh, of a factor now as it used to be in maybe the previous generation and earlier where uh, people who did our job as airline pilots, I mean, that was, that was, it. that was their entire life. That was their existence. And then when they stopped flying for the airlines, it's like, well, I have nothing to do. They didn't have, they didn't have a big <laughs> podcast to do every week and playing outside uh, interest and bowl, lawn, or bowling lawn bowling, and, uh, like speaking for the Royal uh, Aeronautical Society and, uh, singing in my yeah, choir, photography you know, and dog photography, absolutely everything that you want to do in your retirement. Right. And uh, I think that it's just my generation and maybe uh, newer or younger that now, you know, being an airline pilot is just part of who we are. Uh, it doesn't. I haul boxes has make, got a good comment for you to end off with, Jeff. everything we are. Uh, I haul boxes in our live audience says, sorry, I forgot. What's the frequency again? Words twice, please. I didn't put my hearing aid at what's, what's the <laughs> pressure in my chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The medical aspect of it, of course, is, is a, is an issue for sure. Um, and as Nick, you know, very eloquently, uh, described to us the thinking of, um, bumping it from 60 to 65, that still gave a quite a large margin for most of us, uh, as far as, you know, our medical situation, our health situation. So because the, the, the major pushback, I feel, might be coming from those uh, first officers who are looking for captain's opportunities, particularly in airlines that are reasonably static and you're waiting for to fill dead men's shoes, as it were. 
Mm. And, um, you know, they, they have already suffered <laughs> the move from 60 to 65. That put them back. And now many of them are going, oh, another two years? Are oh, you kidding? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's that's the situation uh, as I see it. And uh, if it actually passes, which I really, I don't think, honestly, that it will. Uh, but if it does, it's going to be probably after I'm, you know, already retired. And as I said, I, I'm not coming back or I'm not going to stay another two years because, oh, that was the other thing you mentioned alimony uh, and uh, divorces and stuff. And if I keep, keep flying, that means I have to keep uh, paying alimony as well, because I, I don't stop until I have uh, started to receive retirement benefits. So uh, that's another strong reason for me just to say that's it for uh, December of this year. And, uh, yeah. As far as, you know, when I'm going to actually fly my last trip, my last flight, I honestly really have no idea because uh, the whole thing is fluid. And as I've mentioned before, um, I, what I want to do is just kind of leave and have nobody notice that I'm, I'm gone uh, until maybe weeks or months later and go, hey, what, what happened to that Captain Jeff guy? Um, I want <laughs> to uh, have a big party somewhere uh, sometime in 2020 uh, we definitely can have a big party somewhere yeah <laughs> so that's what we're going to do excellent well i was just going to make one final point yes. uh and certainly the move from 60 to 65 uh, allowing people to get that extra five years was really looking to delay the retirement bump that everyone was expecting because you know the a lot of the airlines recruited people about the same age and they're all coming up to retirement at about the same time and by adding that extra five years they pushed that retirement hump to the right um of course there are other factors that consider this but all they're really doing is delaying it another two years so i don't know what they're expecting to change in uh, two years perhaps there'll be a sudden interest in pilot training and pilot recruitment that will fix everything but uh, you know you, you, you're just kicking the can down the road a little mm -hmm. further that's all you're doing i don't really think it's i think it's creating more problems than solving them honestly um yeah i i certainly think so i mean yeah I was in that group of people when it went from 60 to 65 that basically, you know, people that were maybe five to 10 years older than me, they retired early or they, re whatever, you know, so it, it extended like that, as you just mentioned, Nick, that five year period just increased the number of people that were all about the same age, this blob of people at the time in their 50 to 55 year, year range. And then like everything is just super stagnant at the top end of the seniority scale. And as everybody knows, you know, seniority is huge, uh, especially here on the U S carriers. Uh, I just, okay. Number two. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're trying to characterize, uh, our coverage of that uh, news item, Liz, as, um, pretty crappy, uh, number two. <laughs> is that what you're... No, I'm oh. saying you, yeah, you, did, a, you did very please. thorough coverage. Now she's, move on. She's, you keep saying number two and I'm thinking, you know, like number one is P and number two is. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we'll try some number two then. Okay. Let's do number two. Uh, on June 6th or 6th June, by the way, this is from flight radar 24. On 6 June, Air India Flight 173 from New Delhi to San Francisco experienced a problem with one of its engines and diverted to Magadan, Russia? Magadan? 
I don't know. Do you know how to pronounce that, Nick? I would I would say Magadan, but Magadan. Uh, I'm no expert. Okay. Uh, the aircraft landed safely in Magadan at uh, 8.36 UTC, about 90 minutes after diverting off its course to San Francisco. The flight was operated by Boeing 777-200LR, uh, registration Victor Tango Alpha Lima Hotel. The aircraft is powered by two General Electric 90-115B engines. Um, Magadan's Sokol Sokol Airport is located 50 kilometers, 31 miles north of uh, Magadan proper in Sokol, which has a population of approximately 5,000 due to the lack of hotels in Sokol. The 216 passengers were sheltered at a local school awaiting a second aircraft. A second Air India 777-200LR was dispatched from Mumbai. Uh, the flight departed Mumbai, arrived, blah, 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 it doesn't matter. A rescue aircraft will carry passengers onward from Magadan to San Francisco. The airline sent all the supplies and catering needed for the flight to Magadan to San Francisco aboard the ferry flight. Uh, the follow-on flight to San Francisco departed the 7th of June, so the next day, approximately 38 hours after the original flight diverted. The aircraft arrived in San Francisco at 7.07 UTC on 8 June, 56 hours after the original uh, Air India 173 departed New Delhi. Uh, the average flight time between New Delhi and San Francisco is approximately 15 hours. So yeah, it took them a li little bit longer than it normally does. Of course, Air India's problems are just beginning. Of course, taking care of the passengers, that's primary. Uh, but now they have this airplane, a broken airplane. Uh, says technical issues are a common occurrence and diversions happen every day for a variety of reasons. However, diverting an aircraft to a location where sourcing replacement parts would violate multiple forms of sanctions complicates matters immensely. Okay, you'll remember this is Russia where there are a lot of sanctions. For instance, uh, when a Norwegian 737-8 MAX diverted to Shiraz, Iran in December of 2018, the aircraft sat on the ground for 70 days. Much of that time was spent arranging an export license for a CFM Leap 1B engine for the stricken aircraft. If the problem was the General Electric GE9115B engine on Air India's 777 requires replacing the entire engine, the situation becomes even more complicated. The GE90 is the largest in-service aircraft engine in the world with a fan diameter of 3.3 meters, which is 128 inches. So that's what, 10 feet, 8 inches? Transporting a GE90 requires an equally large aircraft, most often the Antonov AN-124. The problem is there is only a few operators of the Antonov AN-124. Antonov Airlines operates a handful uh, but as a Ukrainian airline, they certainly won't be flying to Russia. Maximus Air Cargo and their single AN-124 also fall into that category. Russia cargo carrier Volgna Dipner, Dipner? Dnieper. Uh, Dnieper has a large fleet of AN-124s, though only one has flown since March, uh, probably because of the sanctions, I would imagine. Uh, yep. Depending on where a replacement engine can be found, a, a Volga Dnipper aircraft might not be able to pick it up due to restrictions on Russia aircraft operating in certain countries. GE-90 engines can be transported in other aircraft such as a Boeing 747 if they are partially disassembled, but or disassembled. Uh, but this introduces even further complications. Sourcing an aircraft able to carry the engine and operate to Russia remains a challenge. 
and disassembling the engine for transport introduces the need to reassemble the engine in the field. On the receiving end, SoCal Airport does not regularly host 777 heavy maintenance. Replacing a GE90 uh, in non-standard conditions is a monumental undertaking requiring specialized tooling alongside the engine itself. When a Swiss 777 diverted to uh, Equali... Equaluit. 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 Thank you. Uh, in 2017, it took a... Okay, let me see. Equaluit. Or a, <laughs> Uh, I, that's for the first time that I mispronounced it. Without any air, uh, export restrictions. To, wait, I don't have any. I'm not drinking because I'm between um, singing at masses. So I'm just going to drink. Uh, oh, I sing water. better when I've had a few. Mm. That's what you think. <laughs> um, Certainly my volume goes up. <laughs> I'm not sure that Jane, the choir director, would really appreciate becoming sloshed. Give you a breathalyzer when you get there? <laughs> Although that might be the way that I can excuse myself from future um, uh, Oh, yeah. Whenever you want to retire, that's the way to go. <laughs> okay. Uh, so when this Swiss 777 diverted to... Ikaluit. Ikaluit. Uh, in 2017, it took a week without any export restrictions to worry about to perform the engine change. Unfortunately for Air India, if it's stricken, 777 does need, does need an in, a new engine. It doesn't seem like it will be a speedy recovery. Now, is, there, is this next article, Liz, kind of updating? Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just talking about, yeah, it's just more information. It's more nothing information really that you haven't talked one. about. Okay. So I don't know if we have an update on this or not. Let's see if this happened. Uh, 10, 11 days ago. Um, and I haven't I heard any updates really that by now I would think that they probably got the new engine installed and got the thing home, but I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can find an update, but, uh, there you go. Yeah. Talking about a logistic nightmare. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's pretty tough. Some of the uh, airports that we could in theory are diverted to in Russia were pretty remote and this sounds like one of them since they didn't even have a hotel to <laughs> to put the passengers into just a a uh, probably a gymnasium or something uh so you can get your aircraft safely on a piece of concrete but recovering it out of there particularly if it's got a you know a, a major engineering issue um you know it's <laughs> It's often just an absolute nightmare. It's the old story, you know. You think you've handled an emergency really well. You've got it on the ground, and you shut down and thinking, wow, that was a great job I've just done, <laughs> and without realizing that your troubles have only just begun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not so fast there, mister. Nice job there. Getting <laughs> no loss of life, but loss of airplane. Yeah, but now you got some splaining to do probably. Um, yeah. And uh, some coordination and leadership and all kinds of hard work ahead yeah and of course all those poor engineers that have got to try and work out what on earth they're going to need to make this major engine change uh you know all the kit the ramps all the cranes everything uh to making sure they don't leave something behind when they set off <laughs> having got this all on board some rescue aircraft uh I just feel for it. That must be a nightmare. Well, you know what? It turns out, I, I read somewhere, um, it wasn't published because it's kind of embarrassing. The light that they thought was the engine was actually um, a fastened seatbelt light. And <laughs> <laughs> they really didn't need to divert at all. Uh, oh, shame. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, let's continue. I think you with, better put uh, up the fifty percent sign, Liz. Ah, <laughs> uh, for in this is from abcnews.go.com. Oh, they're they're uh, they're they're trustworthy, aren't they? Oh yeah. Well, none of them are actually. Oh, okay. Uh, Four indigenous children lost in jungle for 40 days after a plane crash are found alive in Colombia. Colombia. Uh, four indigenous children were uh, who disappeared 40 days ago after surviving a small plane crash in the Amazon jungle were found alive Friday, Colombian authorities announced, ending an intense search that gripped the nation. The children were alone when searchers found them and are now receiving medical attention. President Gustavo Petro told reporters upon his return to Bogota from Cuba, where he signed a ceasefire agreement with representatives of the National Liberation Army rebel group. The president said the youngsters are an example of survival and predicted their saga will remain in history. No details were immediately released on how the youngsters managed to survive on their own for so many days. The crash happened in the early hours of May, May 1st, when the Cessna single-engine propeller plane with six passengers and a pilot declared an emergency due to an engine failure. The small aircraft fell off radar a short time later, and a frantic search for survivors began. Two weeks after the crash, on May 16, a search team found the plane in a thick patch of the rainforest and recovered the bodies of the three adults on board, but the, ch the small children were nowhere to be found. Sensing that they could be alive, Colombia's army stepped up the hunt for the children and flew 150 soldiers with dogs into the area to track the group of four to track the group of four siblings, ages 13, 9, 4, and 11 months. Dozens of volunteers from indigenous tribes also helped search. On Friday, the military tweeted pictures showing a group of soldiers and volunteers posing with the children who were wrapped in thermal blankets. One of the soldiers held a bottle to the smallest, smallest child's lips. The Air Force later shared a, a video on Twitter showing soldiers using a line to load the aircraft onto a helicopter that then flew off into the dark. The tweet said that the aircraft was headed to the town of San Jose del Gua, Guaviar, Guaviare, uh, but gave no further details. The union of our <laughs> efforts it. made this possible. Well done, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Colombia's military command wrote on its Twitter account. Um, during the search in an area where visibility is greatly limited by mist and thick foliage, the soldiers on helicopters dropped boxes of food into the jungle, hoping that it would sustain. Well, they the just children. dropped random boxes. Yeah, but some of it was candy, oh. so it was okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad none of them hit the kids on the head. <laughs> yeah, really? Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> we see the four children. Good only, news, bad news. Only two are alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also uh, used megaphones that blasted a message recorded by the siblings' grandmother telling them to stay oh, in one place. Marvelous. Obviously, Good. they didn't Excellent. stay in one place. They left the site of the, uh, of the crash. Um, anyway, uh, the group of four children were, had been traveling with their mother from the Amazonian village of Araracuara. To San Jose <laughs> del Guaviare, a small city on the edge of the Amazon rainforest. Good thing you're not drinking. Uh, yeah, good thing I'm not drinking, for sure. Thank you, Liz. Uh, they are members of the Huitoto hu 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 people. Sounds An official said the oldest children in the group had some knowledge of how to survive in the rainforest. 
And uh, so it goes on to talk about how, you know, what they did. They, they knew what to eat and what not to eat. And uh, yeah, they managed to stay alive for a long time. Uh, 40 days. I mean, I'm lucky. They, it just shows how difficult it must be to search that kind of terrain because mm -hmm. they say they were searching within a four and a half kilometer, about a three mile radius from the site. And it took them 40 days, 40 days to comb that area mm -hmm. until they found them. I think that's incredible. Yeah, you know, the thick foliage and all that. And then not to mention the fact that when you think of like, what is the worst jungle you could possibly think of to kind of be stuck in with snakes and insects and all kinds of just, ugh. Well, that's things. true. I mean, Tarzan man managed all right. Well, that's true. I yeah, mean, he always looked to a, He was a bit more shape. grown up, wasn't he? Yeah. But the sad hmm. thing was the mother apparently lived for about four days and then she oh. died and then the kids left the plane apparently. But a remarkable uh, story of survival. Yeah. Uh, Liz was just saying that the, they, the story is that the mother uh, survived the crash for about four days or so before she succumbed to her injuries. Oh, Lord. I mean, the yeah. poor kids must be traumatized. Yeah, no kidding. Um, also, uh, I just saw this story yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and uh, they're claiming uh, this uh, dog is a hero. Wilson, the hero rescue dog of the Amazon jungle, is missing. Commandos, you know, I mentioned in the news story that uh, 150 soldiers with dogs went in, and one of the dogs named Wilson was amongst the uh, the group of people. Uh, did he look searching. like a volleyball? And no, it did not. He did not look like a volleyball. That's a different. That's a different movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was trying to think of the, the a suitable joke to make, but Liz beat me. She did. Uh, so days after participating in the rescue of four children in the Amazonia, Amazonian jungle, Colombian commandos have been searching for a beloved comrade, a furry four-legged one. About 100 commandos brave heat, heavy downpours, bug bites, and general misery to find Wilson, a Belgian shepherd, who was participating in the search for the children when he darted into the wilderness and away from his handler. Uh, we're in the second phase of the operation, which is to search, find, and rescue Wilson, according to Armed Forces General Pedro Sanchez, who oversaw Operation Hope, the search that led to the rescue of the children. Despite being a dog, for us, Wilson is a commando who is part of our team, and a commando never leaves another behind. And uh, so the story continues to say Come that on, Wilson. searching Come for him. And I think they did find evidence that he had um, been united with uh, the children. He found the children. Let me see if I can find that part of the uh, article. Um, I didn't highlight it because it's uh, in a different format. Um, darn it. Uh, well, they say he found uh, one of the kids' bottles. Okay. Um, but... Yeah, he, he found proof of life during the search, a baby bottle, but I don't know if he actually uh, discovered the kids. Or not. Uh, one, of the, one of the kids did say that, uh, that the dog had been with them about three Oh, minutes. right, okay. Wow. And uh, then left. But it was interesting, uh, Captain Cesar Arias, who commanded the Arias 3 unit in which Wilson and his handler were serving, so the team had set up camp near the wreckage of the Cessna in and inhospitable swath of Caqueta province when the dog fled. Uh, here's a quote. The dog behaved strangely because he was always with his guide, um, mm. uh, who was uh, Christian Lara, a soldier who is the dog's handler. He left 
and he didn't come back. Uh, so they're, they're thinking that was just very strange behavior that the dog exhibited. And apparently, uh, the dog found the kids and stayed with them for a bit and then darted away again. So they're still looking for the dog. Cool. Okay. Well, I hope they find him. Yeah, me too. Deanna uh, says, I'm just imagining people trekking through the forest yelling, Wilson! <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's I wish the I guy they that. need to recruit. They need to have a, a megaphone recording now of Tom Hanks I, shouting I Wilson. I should have that. Uh, I'm going to put that in. That clip, yeah. <laughs> of, of, of Tom Hanks yelling, Wilson! Wilson! <laughs> thank you, Laura. Uh, thank you, De- uh, Deanna. <sighs> okay. Uh, that is. You've got a video coming up here, Jeff. That. Oh, I do? Okay. Darn it. <laughs> Just when I think I'm on top of it. Which one am I looking for? Uh, uh, it's the lo- loss of separation YouTube video. Okay. Go to the next item, uh, which is a video from our good friends at Bass Aviation. Let's uh, have a listen. Good afternoon, X-ray Alpha Mike, Mike, November 14 at Meridian. With information, whiskey, red, coffee, tequila, papa, hotel. X-ray Alpha Mike, Mike, November, Cedarboro clearance. Can you tell my verify one quick thing? What's your equipment suffix for your aircraft? Okay, we're just, uh, we're just 35, X-ray Alpha Mike, Mike, November. No, that's not what Mike, Mike, November, Roger. I got you guys with the LJ35 Slant Alpha. Is that your correct equipment suffix? Yes, sir, we are uh, Alpha. We are Alpha. All right, actually, Alpha Mike, Mike, November, are you unable to go from VOR to VOR? Is that what the Alpha is made up of? Yes, we can do that. VOR or our, our nav, we can do that both. Oh, alpha doesn't mean only. Alpha Mike, Mike, November, clear to Philadelphia Airport via Rudy 6 departure, radar vector Solberg, Sierra Bravo Juliet, climb via the SID, expect 8,000, one zero minutes after departure. My, my November, Kilo Lima with the Rudy 6 departure and uh, brother vector to Sierra Bravo Juliet. Time at 8,000, Mike, Mike, November, just verifies climb via the SID and expect 8,000, one zero minutes at the departure, and there's a lot of static coming in with your readback. Eight thousand one zero minutes after departure. Please, Mike, Mike, remember Expect eight thousand one zero minutes departure. Please expect that. Please, Mike, Mike, November. Either there's a lot of static or wind in the background. Please use caution. Contact ground point after taxi. Make sure whiskey's current. Yes, we do have the whiskey, and uh, we climb the other seat. Expect eight thousand ten minutes after departure. And the rest is okay, my November. Mike, Mike, November, read back correct. Contact ground point after taxi. Well, yeah, thank you, and good day. Okay, they're showing the uh, SID, the uh, Rudy 6 departure, RNAV departure. And Bass Aviation, Real Aviation Communications. They usually put that at the beginning. Okay, here we go. Here's the Mike, 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 November, contact departure 119.2. Thank you. Oh, I can hear him. Departure this afternoon, X-ray Alpha Mike, Mike November, reaching 2000. X-ray Alpha Mike, Mike November, I did. X-ray Alpha Mike, Mike November, ready to contact 3 West at Tita Brown, say altitude. 2000, Mike November. 
Okay. Um, you didn't fly the six, sir, and you just uh, climbed into a Newark arrival that's descending at a 2,300 feet off your left mile and a half. Oops. Okay. I'm just going to ignore that. Are you continuing your climb, sir? Okay, I show you leaving 2300. I haven't assigned you any altitude. <laughs> he's, not on, he's not on the track either. No, nowhere near it. Three Alpha Mike, Mike November. Turn right 290, climb to maintain 4000. Get your pen ready. You're going to have to call for a pilot deviation, possible pilot <laughs> Yay. deviation. For three two one seven seven, contact New York on one two eight point five five. One two eight point five five. One two eight point five five. Trey Alpha Mike Mike November, climb to maintain seven thousand expedite. Seven thousand expedite, November. Trey Alpha Mike Mike November, I have a phone number for you to call. Advise ready to copy. Ready to copy, Mike November. Got some explaining five, to do. Uh, five one six. That's for a possible pilot deviation. Okay, it's 5-1-6. 3-0, Mike, Mike, November, turn left, 2-5-0, direct Solberg. 2-5-0, If you're VFR and you're trying to call me, unable flight following. No soup for you. 3-0, Mike, Mike, November, contact New York on 128.55. You could hear a lot of co- talking in the background of that Learjet. Yelling, <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. On the aircraft <laughs> continued to the destination safely, it says. Okay. Um, so, as uh, Liz, our producer in, in the control room, is, is saying to me uh, right at the beginning of this, it seems like uh, language could be a factor here in the lack uh, or misunderstanding uh, in the communications. Um, yeah, but I mean, the uh, what I assume is the captain, the guy with the better headset and the stronger voice, um, he seemed to have a good grasp on what was going on. So I'm not quite sure uh, where the why the error came in. I, I was looking at that departure plate, very hard to see assigned altitudes on it. Was there a stop height at some? Yeah, point? there was. Let me uh, pull this up and scroll to that part of it. It was 1,500 feet, which is, comes pretty quickly. Um, okay. Uh, where is the, there it is. Um, okay. Looks like they took off on runway two, four, uh, climb heading yeah. two, four, zero to 520 feet. Then directly. I've got it. Yeah. You see it. Dab Le- level at Wentz. Wentz at 1500 yeah. feet. Yeah. Because you know, you have Newark like right just south of there by a few miles. In fact, oh, golly, of, yeah. I, I've flown over. Right. Um, Tidaburra many times on my way into Newark, very low. Yeah. And it says expect vectors to assign route fix, maintain 2,000, expect uh, clearance to file altitude 10 minutes after departure. So here, the 2,000 on the departure is your altitude, which is, it seems that that's what they they did. They But they didn't, first of all, they didn't really closely track this departure um uh, at all. And a slant alpha, by the way, let's go back to the very beginning when he was getting his clearance and he was asking about, about his navigation suffix. 
and that's part of the flight planning system. I believe I could be wrong. Maybe somebody in the in the chat room can correct me, or Captain Nick can. Uh, but slant alpha used to mean uh, no RNAV capability. That just means the old-fashioned VOR to VOR course inbound, course outbound VORs, um, and no. Uh, even if you have an RNAV system, the aircraft's not certified to actually use it for navigation per navigational purposes. Uh, now, if you're a slant R, I mean, nowadays they it, it's like a it spits out huge numbers and letters and not huge. They're not big, but a lot of garbage past the slant. Uh, lots of ways to describe the navigational comp- capabilities of modern airplanes. Uh, but it, in the old days, as I said, it used to be just a slant alpha or slant Romeo. Slant Romeo told them, hey, you can fly RNAV stuff like this RNAV departure procedure. But I don't even think that they were really equipped or at least legally equipped to fly this departure. And it would have been better off for them if they had said slant alpha were not RNAV capable and just give me a vector and, a, and an altitude. And I bet we wouldn't be talking about them. Very true. I was a little surprised that the air trafficker didn't know that and that he was trying to ask them what slant alpha yeah, that's true. or what the alpha suffix meant. And I'm going, well, you should know that, shouldn't you, buddy? Yeah, but today's world, I mean, we have a lot of new people, Nick. And I remember it wasn't, it was like several years ago, I had to fly a uh, mad dog between Austin, I think, or it was either Austin or Dallas up to um, Detroit and the uh, nav system on the airplane wasn't using, I mean, wasn't usable. And so we had to file basically slant alpha. We didn't have the capability to, you know, proceed on RNAV departure procedures or RNAV arrival procedures or direct to a fix that was several hundred miles away or, or more. And every single controller would immediately go, okay, uh, Acme 543, uh, you're cleared direct to some fix that just was 100 miles away. And we go, well, we, we, we can take a heading uh, <laughs> and get us going. And then when we finally start picking up the free, you know, that, that navigational aid, we'll be able to proceed directly to it. Oh, you know, it's like it wasn't ringing the bell for them. This wasn't happening. Gotcha. And yeah. uh, so <laughs> every single time, though, every time we got, switch to a new in route frequency, they would do the same darn thing. It's like, they're just not used to seeing people that don't have RNAV systems. I mean, even Cessna yeah. 172s have pretty advanced Garmin, you know, navigational systems and they can do all that fancy stuff, RNAV stuff, no problem, you know, but yep. Yep. Very true. I think that maybe, yeah, you're right though. And they should know that what slant alpha means. Um, yeah. Uh, and but the, so should the pilots if they yeah. filed the, their own flight plan. Uh, I mean, I, I I never filed a flight plan in twenty five years of commercial flying, so right. <laughs> don't ask me how it's I, done. I didn't but, either. Um, it was all done for me, you know. <laughs> exactly. But, but you look at the uh, the flight plan that you that you get, either electronic or paper or both, and you can see you know your identifier, your ship number, or not ship number, but your uh, registration number. Uh, and then they're just, it's a whole alphabet soup of stuff that gets spit out after yep. that. Uh, but as I, I said, mean, I, I had the paperwork to decode it. So mm-hmm. I always kept a, an example flight plan and all the decodes. So I knew how to, I, I could have puzzled one out eventually, I think. Right. 
but yeah, what they what the heck it all means is like uh, <laughs> a way to figure it out. Yeah. So next. Okay. Thank you. Anyway, they, I wonder how the telephone conversation went. Uh, I was probably not a good one. No. Do you know what fifteen hundred with a little black line above and a little black line below means? <laughs> no, no idea. No. Um, Never mind. Let's move on to this next one. Uh, it's a uh, final report of an accident. I don't think we do. We talk about this, Liz, when it first happened I back in twenty twenty one. Thought it was somewhat familiar, but I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. not I don't, sure. I don't. You know, it doesn't ring a. It doesn't ring the bell. No, I don't really. It's a <laughs> sweet looking airplane. Though, oh yeah, it's that. a Dassault uh, Falcon Dassault uh, Falcon 900EX, or how would you say that in French? The EX. Uh, the EX. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> exactly like the French language. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, final report from the National Transportation Safety Board involving uh, this uh, Falcon 900EX. Uh, the flight crew was conducting a flight with two passengers and one flight attendant aboard on board the multi-engine jet airplane. So three, a three-holder, three. Oh, uh, I've engine. worked it out. EX stands for excursion because that's the defining event. <laughs> I don't think that's really what they had in mind. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they probably wouldn't sell too many if that was something no. that was right. they were destined for. Um, the flight. Let's see. Uh, the flight crew later stated that at rotation speed on takeoff. The captain applied back pressure to the control yoke. However, the nose did not rotate to a takeoff attitude. The captain attempted to rotate the airplane once more by relaxing the yoke, then pulling it back again. Fly, uh, airplane, yeah, fly, please. bend to my will. <laughs> <laughs> and with no change in the airplane's attitude, he made the decision to reject the takeoff by retarding the thrust levers or levers and applying maximum braking. Uh, the airplane overran the end of the runway onto a gravel pad where the landing gear collapsed. Um, Ouch. Tim Van so, Ram is familiar with that model of aircraft. Oh, Tim Van Ram says his company has three uh, 990 EXs in their fleet. That's his favorite to fly on. Ooh. Well, look at you. That's nice. Well, not this one isn't his favorite. Yeah. I don't, yeah. You probably don't want to fly this one, uh, Tim. Not with this crew. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. This is this is an interesting one here. Well, let's get good. to the. Let's get, get to, to the, the report meat. and the, the findings here. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, okay. They plan to depart um, from runway 28 right at Montgomery Gibbs Executive Airport in San Diego, California, with the destination of Ellison Onizuki Kona, Interna- Kona International, let's just call it, uh, Hawaii. The captain was a pilot flying. The first officer was a pilot monitoring. Both crew members reported that before departure, the airplane had no pre-flight anomalies and all pre-takeoff checks, engine start, taxi, and engine run-ups. Who does an engine run-up in a jet? I'm not I mean, sure. I never do a run-up. After de-icing. Okay. Yeah, Maybe it was icing. It <laughs> yeah. Well, we do run. Liz is saying, well, what about after de-icing? Yeah, but they're taking off from San Diego. So I, I, know. Think... <laughs> I know. I know, but yeah, good, good point. point. You're right. We do yeah. uh, on, at times do run-ups. So I, I stand correct. I sit corrected. Uh, the first officer reported that they planned for a maximum performance takeoff. A review of the cockpit voice recorder, cockpit voice recorder, confirmed that there were no anomalies with the airplane announced by the pilots during pre-flight or while taxiing to the runway. The automatic terminal information service was obtained and the crew briefed the departure and general routing. 
the crew discussed fuel, stating 19.5 required, and that they're that we're going to burn 11.5, but they had an extra six to seven on board. At uh, a little time later, the crew performed the after-start before takeoff checklist, which included a brief discussion on what preferred trim settings should be, and a comment stating, "We're pretty far aft." That means they're very heavy. The airspeeds were acknowledged with the comment "Green 112" or "Green 112." The crew reviewed their departure plan and discussed their takeoff reject plan, including their intention not to reject the takeoff after reaching 80 knots. The crew then called the air traffic control tower to request a momentary takeoff delay for a short field takeoff. Don't know what that means, actually. The takeoff was initiated. The crew noted the airspeed was alive. They cross-checked 80 knots, and the first officer stated that they were committed to takeoff. The crew then called out V1. And then the first officer called rotate. However, seven seconds later, the captain responded that they couldn't take off. The first officer called for thrust reversers, and the captain stated that he couldn't. <laughs> well, I don't know what that means. Followed by repeat exclamations of, we can't. Sounds consistent with the airplane departing the paved runway surface were recorded, followed by several master caution oral alerts, and the captain stating, kill it, just before the recording the recording ended. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the, the airplane overran the departure end of the runway by about 315 feet, struck a berm, which sheared off all three landing gear. The airplane slid an additional 230 feet, came to a rest on a gravel overrun pad. The airplane sustained substantial damage to the wings and fuselage, and the fuel tanks were ruptured. Continuity was confirmed from the with the flight controls to the control surfaces, and significant fuel leakage was present, but no fire ensued. Well, they were lucky there. Yes. So, now this must have been a, a very professional and um, experienced crew. Well yeah, just one of those unfortunate days for them. Yeah. Uh, the captain stated that he was employed directly by the owner of the airplane and had previously flown another airplane for the same owner. He reported having multiple type ratings in corporate jets. Uh, FAA safety inspectors who arrived on scene the day of the accident stated that when the captain was asked for his pilot certificate, he was not able to locate it, but eventually produced a certificate later in the day after continued requests. The airplane type rating for the accident airplane was not listed, so he didn't have a type rating for this. Uh, and a uh -oh. review of airman records veal, uh, revealed that the FAA had issued an emergency revocation of all his certificates two years <laughs> earlier. Hmm. Wow. FAA, oh, oh, so dear. why, you asked? Did, were, were they uh, revoked? Well, um, he, he had violated uh, FAR 61-59 Alpha 2 while employed as a check pilot for a Part 135 operator by falsifying logbook entries and records for pilot proficiency checks, competency checks, and training events on 15 wow. separate occasions. Okay, a little How many times? 50. Oh, 15. yeah. 15, yeah. okay. The captain stated Still that he bad. used his tablet and aircraft performance group, APG. Hey! <laughs> to play with the last. Oh, hey, well, this is why it was fifty percent. Here come the feds. <laughs> well, let's let's go ahead and move on to the next item then. <laughs> on the, uh, yeah. Look at Tim Van Ram's comment. Oh, Tim Van dear, Ram's, uh -oh. Captain George Santos. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Catch him if you can. Well, they did. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the captain was. Oh wait a minute. Uh, so the captain stated that he had used his tablet 
and the APG performance data software to calculate performance. That's the problem. And file the flight plan for the accident flight. When NTSB investigators asked the pilot for his tablet, he reported it was destroyed. I, <laughs> I swallowed it. Yeah, I don't know what happened to it. The dog ate it. I swallowed the tablet. Yeah, he reported he reported he could not recall any weight and balance or performance information from the accident flight and did not respond to any further correspondence. Uh, the captain was thing. enrolled for the DA-900EX Easy uh, initial training on October 1st, 2020 at Flight Safety International. He was not issued a type rating because he never finished the ground or flight simulator training, although he attended the ground school portion of training. All right, so there's your captain there, uh, the first officer. Wow. Yeah, wow. stated that uh, he was employed directly by the owner of the air, air, uh, accident airplane. Two years before the accident, he was hired as the owner's helicopter pilot and security specialist. When the accident airplane was purchased, he was offered the first officer position. At the time of the accident, he reported a total of 568 hours of flight experience, which included 380 flight hours in helicopters. Okay, so more than half of his, uh, or approximately half of his experience was in helicopters, and uh, the rest, a couple hundred hours, um, in fixed wing, I guess. According to Flight Safety International, the first officer was also enrolled for that same course, the DA-900EX Easy Initial Training. He completed the training on September 28, 2020, and received his type rating with pilot and command limitations on his second checkride attempt. Hmm. Sounds like he didn't do super well on the checkride. Uh, at the time mm. of the accident, he had logged 16 hours on this airplane. 16. So not a lot of experience. Uh, in an interview with NTSB investigators, the pilot stated that he confirmed the FMS inputs that were made by the captain, but later revealed that he was not proficient regarding the FMS. So, yeah, I don't know. He's punching oh. buttons there. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, dear. Yeah. So I th it goes on to talk about the fact that the airplane they determined was uh, a couple of thousand pounds overweight. I uh, forgot exactly how, couple, uh, about 2,000 something pounds overweight. Um, yeah. And which put the COG out of limits. Yep. The COG was, this, this, yeah, the center of gravity was out of limits. And uh, said, according to the airplane manufacturer, an Amber Field Limited message would eliminate on the told page, the takeoff and landing data page of the FMS, if the maximum takeoff weight is exceeded and it would not commute, compute takeoff speeds. Therefore, no takeoff card would have been displayed for the crew. Under this condition, the crew would be unable to acknowledge the performance calculations, thus preventing the correct airspeed bugs, V1, VR, from appearing on the airspeed tape. According to the aircraft manufacturer, it's possible for the pilots to change FMS suggested runway length or takeoff weight for the computation of takeoff speeds. Uh, the uh, digital flight uh, data recorder indicated that the captain attempted to take off at a rotation speed of 110 knots indicated uh, at the airplane's maximum takeoff weight. And re remember, they were over the maximum takeoff weight. Uh, V-rotate was calculated to be 133. Okay, so he tried about 23 knots, you know, shy of the actual speed um, to, uh, to rotate the airplane. That's why nothing happened when he pulled back on the yoke. Um, the, the data further indicated that the rejected takeoff was initiated once the speed had reached 123 knots at the maximum, and the maximum airspeed recorded was 127. After the airplane decelerated to 102 knots 
and tra- traveled 3,770 feet down the runway, the thruster reversers were fully deployed. Ah, I guess they did work. Uh, the airplane exited the par- departure end of the runway at 75 knots and impacted the berm at 59, um, and everything was functioning. Cockpit voice recorder, digital data recorder, and MDR, whatever that is. Um, yeah, no injuries, though. I mean, the good news is that nobody was injured or killed during this thing, but, man, that could have easily gone the other way here. Yeah, the fire yeah. would have been bad. Now, here's a question concerning this kind of an accident uh, in the States. Um, would there would there now be a, a case brought against this captain by the FAA? Would they take him to court? I don't know. I think I, I, it seems to me that they would have a definitely a, a case uh, against, well, against yeah. him. I mean, having had his, sign, his certificate revoked and having mm-hmm. then tried to take an aircraft that was overweight with the wrong uh, trim setting, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm wondering if the um, owner of the aircraft could somehow go after the crew as well for yeah, the damage. I'm sure. Yeah, that, I mean, they they are negligent. It's pretty obvious that they've done a dreadful job. Uh, and they were lucky to get away without a major fire and, and dying as a result. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they, um, even with this CRG problem, uh, they didn't actually even select the best they could in the green band uh, to try and assist them to get the nose off. Uh, I mean, they, they probably wouldn't have been able to do it anyway, not being able to achieve the required speed in the runway length, but mm-hmm. uh, it didn't even help themselves. It seems to me that they, uh, they knew that they were extremely heavy. They probably knew that they were overweight as well, and they had to do something to fudge, you know, like make the uh, FMS like spit out some numbers or maybe the FMS never did. And they just kind of went, Oh, about this yeah. speed would work. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it seems very shady to me. Yep. Uh, well, I hope no one else ever employs him. And I, yeah, me too. And I hope that people understand that our, our performance data, um, system the apg system that uh, was not at fault at all here it was uh, not no it was yeah uh, make sure jeff let's skip the next one um, and go to um the f go okay to f. we're gonna skip to f captain nick sure uh this is from the faa.gov so it must be official uh, oh. The Federal Aviation Administration will require a secondary barrier on the flight deck of new commercial airplanes to ensure the air safety of aircraft, flight crew, and air passengers. The final rule mandating, mandating the additional barrier will protect flight crews from intrusion when the flight deck doors open. Uh, according to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, uh, every day, pilots and flight crews transport millions of Americans safely. And today we are taking another important step to make sure that they have the physical protections they deserve. Aircraft manufacturers are required to install secondary barriers on commercial aircraft produced after the rule goes into effect. No pilot should have to worry about an intrusion on the flight deck. Uh, The Biden Harris administration made this rule a priority in 2021 In 2022, the FAA proposed the rule after seeking recommendations from aircraft manufacturers and labor partners. The rule meets a requirement of the 2018 FAA Reauthorization Act, although I didn't think it was actually in force yet. 
Didn't we talk about that? On yeah, the we did. First yep, item? you're right. Anyway, uh, so there, I guess the final rule has passed. It's just now they're waiting for the legislation to the bill to actually pass. And then I think the aircraft manufacturers have like up to two years, I think, and then they have to uh, manufacture the airplanes with this. Um, yeah, but no retrofitting of existing planes, IPSB, right? I think, uh, something interim or physical secondary barrier. Or, uh, I stands for something else. But anyway, um, yeah, it, the uh, system uh, does not have to be installed retroactively to all the airplanes that are out there flying today and made in the next couple of years. So, um, But at least progress is being made. Yeah, it's amazing how slow these wheels turn. And sometimes you appreciate that there are no knee jerks because often those initial knee jerks prove to be um, poorly thought out. Um, but on the other hand, you know, uh, it's an awful long time since 9-11, which really kicked off this major concern with um, flight deck uh, attacks. Um and uh, it's you know an awful lot of time has gone by, and uh, we could have had these on new aircraft being built, like the A three fifty, and I don't know later generations of C series, uh, the Dreamliner perhaps, uh, and the seven four. So you know we could have already had aircraft easily, uh, oh, flying around with this additional protection. I I I'm mm -hmm. I, it's great. I I appreciate the, the need for it. And um, uh, despite the annoyance it might cause, I think it uh, is is a great step. I just, you know, tear my hair out that it's going to take this along. Let's see. Micah is asking the question, how many extra doors do we need? Is two going to be enough? No. I think it's, more. it's the case of, uh, you know, <laughs> that when the flight deck door is being opened for someone to come out or go back right. in, that is obviously a vulnerable um, period because if there is someone in the front galley, they can uh, rush that door perhaps. Uh, and that's always been a failing in the system. So mm -hmm. at least now, you know, you've got to get, uh, you know, you can protect the flight deck while you open the first door. And uh, if someone does rush it when you're at the second door, well, you, the flight deck has got a, still got a locked door in position. So it is considerably more secure. Tim Van Ram in our live audience says, the German wings incident proves that there should be a secret way to defeat the security door. Uh, um, considering the number of people that come in and out of the industry, mm -hmm. uh, I think keeping that kind of a secret secret uh, is incredibly difficult. I would much rather see greater um, examination, greater um, control of pilots' medical situations and uh, a greater understanding of the problems uh, facing someone with mental illness. And um, that, to me, is a better way of uh, addressing it because even if both pilots had been on the flight deck, uh, it is quite possible that the man could have achieved his aims anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I haul boxes has kind of a medieval, uh, uh, medieval uh, <laughs> kind of solution, like uh, a pull-up gate with chains and water with crocs in between. That's, that's an idea. Although I, here now, here's my proposal. 
I'd say maybe the first 25, 30%, maybe up to 50%, depending on the size of the aircraft, should be exclusively for aircrew members. And we have our own bathroom facilities, our own yep, crew rest facilities, you, um, you know, uh, galleys, all that kind of stuff. And that way we're yeah, permanently um, sealed away from the Massage bed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't and, know. If uh, all have... that. Yeah, should have a, a buffet there and oh, yeah. a bar and all that stuff. <laughs> and it or should be sealed off from the great unwashed <laughs> dry cleaners who yeah. get crammed now into the remaining part of the yeah. fuselage. And yeah. if we can't carry as many passengers, well, I just, uh, you know, it's safety. Safety is. No, paramount. I'm sure you can carry as many passengers. You just push that bulkhead <laughs> until you can't move it any further. And then they're all squashed in there like peas in a pod. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of concerned about Jordan. Hey, chat room, check check Jordan. Make sure he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, he is. I know. <laughs> he is. So Jordan says, yeah. hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm work, no, I think he just sat on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> or his cat did, maybe. Okay. <laughs> yes. uh, let's uh, move on to item number G, uh, 1G. Uh, this is from airlive.net. Wait, nothing from paddle your own canoe no. or yeah. arrow oh, time or anything? Okay. Who oh, um, would have known? I know. Uh, this is from, as I just said, airlive.net. Oh, it's the sister. Yeah, the, the sister, sister airline of Acme, our, our wonderful sister airline, uh, Delta. Uh, a flight from Kennedy to Los Angeles on Saturday made an unscheduled landing in Utah due to technical difficulties, only to have an air slide <laughs> That's one way of putting it. accidentally deploy inside the plane once it was on the ground. Apparently, it had nothing to do with the slide. Um, that was a kind of a secondary issue. Uh, a crew member was hit unexpectedly by the exploding air slide and taken to the hospital. Uh, I don't think it exploded, did it? Well, it probably sounded like, like it was exploding, but I think it was yeah. just filling rapidly with, with air, or yeah. nitrogen or carbon dioxide or whatever it is that they fill it with um so uh, they had to stop in salt lake because of technical difficulties and again they don't really explain what the technical difficulty was oh the backup systems temperature instrument was on the fritz oh is that it <laughs> yeah that's the technical oh, yeah, difficulty the next, the next paragraph a backup <laughs> systems temperature instrument was on the fritz i hate it when that happens I know. Yes, it's not exactly good to be on right. the fritz. Well, take it off the fritz and stick it back on the aeroplane. <laughs> no kidding. Where is fr fritz? Explain yourself. <laughs> Put that temperature thing back on. Uh, is that Captain Fritz or First Officer Fritz? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, um, hey, wasn't he in Hogan's Heroes? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he well, knows nothing. I know nothing. I know nothing. Nothing. Yeah. He's still working. <laughs> He must be getting close to 67 by now. That was Sergeant Schultz. <laughs> oh, that was not Fritz, but Schultz. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, that very, sounds that very close. Uh, let's see. The flight, which left New York City after 7 a.m., landed without incident, and passengers were asked to do plane. After a delay, the temperature instrument was taken off Fritz, <laughs> and the plane was seemingly <laughs> ready to take off again. I hope Fritz is okay, because that yeah. could be a very heavy instrument. Well, okay. I don't know. I think we, they say at the end it was an unnamed crew member that was hit, but I think we know who it was. I, it must yeah, have been Fritz. Fritz. So you yeah. need to get to that bit now. <laughs> okay. Well, after the passengers reboarded the aircraft and were ready to go, an inflatable slide at the rear of the plane was accidentally deployed inside the plane while it was still at the gate. 
uh, hitting the uh, unnamed crew member. And we've talked about this before. How do you, imagine going through life without a name. That's that must be. I know. <laughs> yes. Who um, was taken to the hospital? Sources told the Post. One passenger described the slide as exploding inside the plane, while another said the crew had armed a rear door, and that the air slide forced a panel out of the door when it accidentally deployed, striking the crew member like an airbag of a car. And of course, the bottom line here, and it's actually literally the bottom line of this news article. Sources said that the slide hit the unnamed crew member in the head and that the slide had been somehow accidentally deployed by the plane's catering crew. So when caterers come up to the airplane, you have to make very sure sure. that darn sure that uh, the, the doors are not armed because when the caterer comes up and usually uh, the procedures probably vary with airlines, but if you go up and they have like a little window there and they're looking inside for somebody, like usually the, uh, one like of the Fritz. flight attendants, to give like yeah, like a flight attendant Fritz um, the thumbs up, <laughs> and and then when the caterer sees the thumbs up sign, in other words, okay, you, it's okay for you to open the door from the outside, and the door is not armed. Uh, apparently, there was some miscommunication here, and the door was still armed or had just been armed, whatever, and catering came up and. Uh, I don't know. One of the safety cross checks here didn't happen. And yeah, you know, I happened. think Fritz was holding that backup temperature instrument and the <laughs> caterer might have mistaken that for his thumb. <laughs> oh, you're right. I reckon that's what it was. That's gotta be well, it. That, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Well we solved it, we solved it, the it in the head for Fritz. <laughs> Uh, did, did the temperature uh, instrument, uh, backup system, temperature instrument hit him in the head? Is that what happened? Don't here? Know, I don't but... know. I <laughs> no. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't like to um, speculate. Okay. You know, yeah, we never speculate here. speculating. No, we never do. <laughs> That's pretty much all we do. Afraid <laughs> so. Okay. Yes. Well, let's, uh, Liz says she wants to get to know what's happening with us. So there's our little bumper. Uh, getting to know us. Getting to hope you like us too. Getting to like, getting to know the United States. Yeah. All right. Very nice, Liz. Her singing keeps improving week to week. (laughs) Um, And uh, unlike mine, which is just going right down the tubes. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So. I always enjoy this part of the show because uh, you know during the week we do keep in contact with each other, but not everything is shared. And uh, so it's kind of fun to hear what's been happening with everybody on the crew. And um, let's see, Nick, um, I know you've been very busy. I'm not sure what the heck you're doing, but it sounds like you're busy <laughs> in communications that we have between shows. What's what's going on with you? Well, I'm just, just averagely busy. It's just averagely. I think my capacity for doing things is reducing. So, you know, you've got these this this line, you've got one going up and one coming down, and they eventually cross. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm there, man. As much done as, exactly, but I have actually managed to finish a plain tale we've got for this week, so that's that's kind of good. Um, yeah, it's very good. I've been uh, doing a little bit of uh, uh, negotiations uh, regarding um, your visit. Uh, oh, and like trying to talk Jilly into letting me stay in your house? Uh, yeah, I've eventually persuaded my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, actually, I between you and me, she has said that you are undoubtedly the nicest guest we've ever had in our Boy, house. Then who the are the other least guests? Least trouble, the nicest person, okay, and she's completely uh, unfazed by the fact that you're coming to visit. Yeah, especially so when you great. compare me to Liz. I mean, yeah, no I'm kidding. so much more of a delight. <laughs> <laughs> male, male guest. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, good recovery, I'm out of trouble, Jim, I think. Nick. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing my best, backpedaling fast. Um, right, uh, Jeff's visit. Right, he he pitches up, and then we've uh, in fact he's arranged to pitch up a couple of days earlier, so we can have a meet up on the fourth of July, and that's going to be at uh, the RF Museum in London, which is a part of London called Hendon, uh, and the postcode. If you're going to type it into your GPS. Uh, Guidance, sat nav guidance system, November Whiskey 95 Lima. Lima. Um, we're sort of going to get there in the afternoon, so at approximate 2 p.m., and then we're going to wander around the RAF Museum. I think it kicks us out at 5, uh, at which point we will take a leisurely stroll across the road. It's only about, I don't know, 150 meters, like couple a couple hundred walk feet. or something. It's like, yeah, no close. time at all to get to uh, the Beaufort pub, which I presume is named after the Beaufort aircraft, the wartime twin engined oh. uh, fighter bomber, oh. uh, which is in Heritage Avenue, number two, uh, Heritage Avenue in Hendon, uh, November Whiskey 9 5 Alpha Alpha, if you're going to type that in. And that's where we're going to settle down and enjoy some IPAs and perhaps have a burger or something yeah. similar. And we're going to dress the pub up. <laughs> well, we're going to dress our table up. Yeah, I don't think we're going to dress uh, the pub American up. flags, <laughs> and we're going to have a little 4th of July celebration with <laughs> I'm sure they're going to appreciate it. So he it. can thumb his nose at us <laughs> and tell us how easily they like beat us uh, in the, uh, the battle the for their independence. The British are coming! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that's going to be that's going to be on the 4th of july which i think is a very apt day to uh, have a meet up really looking forward to that it is i think a tuesday yes so Correct. uh if uh, if you're going to be at work you can join us in the pub afterwards if uh, you're not or you can get the afternoon off then join us in both the museum and the pub which would be fabulous yeah um but those who live a bit further north it's kind of an ironic sorry? meetup i guess it, yes, it will be absolutely. The, uh, in fact, if you bearing in mind uh, what Londoners are like, if you get away without being scalped or similar, uh -oh. maybe we <laughs> should have done quite well. Maybe we should uh, rethink this whole thing. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> okay, I want to. I want to just st stay alive. Oh well, I think they'll probably let you keep. Yeah, some vestige of, of <laughs> oh, <thank> life. <laughs> Yes. Um, anyway, um, we uh, we had some complaints from those who live a bit further north, and they mm -hmm. said, "Well, look, you're coming all the way up to Oxfordshire to complainers attend the Grand Prix. Uh, couldn't you uh, have a meet up up there as well?" So Jeff said, well, "Okay, yeah, let, let we can do that." So okay, we are going to do that, and we're going to have the Great Northern meet up. Well, it's not very far north, but it's a bit further north than London. Slightly north. Yes, exactly. I love that. <laughs> now, uh, that's the 7th of July, so that's Friday. Uh, 
at a nominal 6 p.m. because we're not sure uh, what the, the Grand Prix is like, and it'll only be practice day, so it might mm -hmm. be over reasonably quickly. But you know, we'll try and get back. We don't know what the traffic will be like, so mm -hmm. anyway, we'll try and get back by six ish. Yeah. Now, uh, we were going to have it in the pub, but uh, Captain Nigel has very nicely, considering he's not in the country and his poor dear wife is. <laughs> so he doesn't have to deal with us. Exactly. She, he has you volunteered his house, which is a, a lovely big place, um, just on the main road uh, into Upper Tad Martin. Uh, OX15 5SN Sierra November Ox, uh, Oscar X-Ray 15 5 Sierra November uh, and um, it's as you approach the village uh, just around the 30 mile an hour sign um, and you'll see some big brown doors on the left which will be open um, and uh, you drive up a, a gravelly drive and park by the house it's absolutely fabulous we're, we're gonna have it outdoors so poor poor lou who um will be the only demery available i think uh, doesn't have to do too much tidying up um and we're gonna jeff and i are gonna get some beer in uh and uh we're gonna order some pizza so there'll be something to eat and uh, something to drink with any yeah. of that and, um, yeah, by all means, let us know if you're going to come, but it's going to happen whether you say that or not. We're going to be doing <laughs> this just anyway. just have more beer to drink. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Now, just in case the weather is inclement. Inclement? Yes, very yes. good. Is that? Yes, inclement. good word. Yeah. The wet weather option will be to uh, abandon the um, patio outside of um, Captain Nige's house and a rush up the road into the village to the Lampert Arms where we will consume their beer and yes. uh, order in some pizza to the pub. I, I've yet to have a word with the nice ladies that run the pub, but I've got some contact details, and I'll mention that we might be pitching up, but, you know, it's only a, a, a backup option. So that's okay. uh, the Lampert Arms in Upper Tad Martin, OX15 5TB, Tango Bravo. And uh, that's near Banbury, uh, those two places. So if yeah. you're sort of trying to find out on a map, that's where to look. So they are the details of the UK meetups with Captain Jeff. Uh, and and Captain uh, Nick. we're all looking forward to it. Um, that picture, go, go, yes, go back to that picture, please. Was that taken when we were in Banbury at that uh, pub outside? That, or, that's not actually the Lampard Arms. No, that is no, another pub we went to. Yeah, like in, I just in, thought in Banbury itself, not, um, not. Yes, it was on. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was. It was on the outskirts, right? Because I went to Banbury, uh, I went yes. to Mass that day, and then we met uh, at the pub and and went out in the patio or something like that. Isn't that right? I think. Or is no, that because the, the one the pub we met when we went to church, we were in inside. Oh. Never I think mind. this is another pub because uh, we did go to quite a few. Yeah, well, <laughs> we did. <laughs> and you probably will there, this time. There are probably several that we went to that we just don't really recall it. Absolutely, yes. So uh, <laughs> that's the situation there. So all that, all that's going to happen. 
Uh, and uh, we're throwing it out, or at least Liz is kindly throwing it out on the social media. So uh, yes. you should find out about it on the social media. But, um, you know, we'll stick something on the perhaps the website or some links or in the show notes. So the information is there. We'll so, uh, stick it in there somehow. That's Good. what she Excellent. said. um oh the only other thing i'm going to mention bowls continues apace Uh, i had a really um fortunate win yesterday last night uh in my county singles match i'm now through to the fourth round of that competition uh against thank you very much against a very determined player uh and i was about 11 shots behind uh and it's first to 21 so i was really on my back heels and it took a real effort to concentrate and try and catch up which luckily i eventually did and we we ended up sort of 18 all and then i managed to grab a couple of last shots and uh, got to the 21 first so nice it was a lovely game uh with uh david who uh, belongs to the hook bowling club and uh, he was a very nice chap uh but afterwards i was absolutely shattered i really well i've been concentrating so hard um got through on the county triples that was another tough match but thoroughly enjoyed that uh and um uh we're in the i'm still going in the district pairs with my other partner um gary uh, who is a great bowler, a lovely old gentleman like myself. Uh, so we're, we're doing all right. We're enjoying it. But it is keeping me very busy. I right. hope that this doesn't enter my my visit over there isn't going to interfere with any of this. I don't want to. I'm trying to make sure I play before or after, but I okay. think I'm going to probably have to play at least one match. Oh, I hope so, because I want to um, go to one of these things. And oh, see it's great. What this is all oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, in, in theory... It might happen. Okay. So, yes. Excellent. Um, uh, did you want to say anything about uh, your your trip to London uh, earlier in the week, or is that? Oh yeah, that... actually, yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, I have got a an interview um, in my recorder, uh, which um, I recorded in a pub in London, and it this was quite by chance. I got a lovely message from uh, one of the. Uh, Australian fighter pilots that I worked with when I was on 77 Squadron. He was um, sort of a, a brand new ab initio pilot joining the squadron, his first Hornet squadron. Uh, big, tall guy with one of those absolute classic, you know, flat top haircuts. Um, great. Uh, his name was Scott. Uh, we call him Wood Duck. Um, and um, he, <laughs> he let me know that he had arrived in the UK as the Australian air attache to the embassy in London. Wow. <laughs> I went, wow, <laughs> that's brilliant. Anyway, we arranged to meet up in a pub uh, near the Strand, where uh, she just down the road from uh, the Aussie embassy and uh, sat down and consumed a couple of beers. And I stuck a microphone in front of him and uh, chatted to him about his uh, Air Force career. Uh, he has had a very interesting flying career, actually, because he doesn't done it all in the Australian Air Force. He actually um, left it for a while to go and work in the Middle East and then came back to it some years later and carried on. 
Uh, and um, yeah, he, lovely guy. Great to see him again. Uh, and uh, um, I'll hopefully stick that up perhaps as a plain tale next week or the week after. Sweet. Can't wait to hear mm, it. It was. It was great fun. Always nice to be reunited with people that you have a past with. Indeed, indeed. And and since I was in town and I knew the trains would be busy, I got in touch with my eldest son who lives and works in London and said, uh, find a restaurant and uh, I'll, uh, you know, we'll go out for a meal. And <laughs> I pitched up at this very posh steakhouse. <laughs> Did you mention that you were paying treated, for it? Yeah, treated my <laughs> oh, son <laughs> We we got a huge uh, six hundred ounce six hundred grams sorry, um, ribeye uh, and uh, to share, which was absolutely brilliant. It was very nice. tasty. Yeah, mm, making me hungry. So that, that was good. It was lovely to see him uh, and uh, have a few beers. Sweet cover Excellent. art. All right. Would yeah. you like to talk about the cover art from our last show? Uh, yeah, we. Oh, golly, yes. You know, I, I presented two options to the crew. Uh, one of which uh, I've completely forgotten about. Oh, I can't remember what it was. But this was anyway. This was the one. Oh, it was a joke about uh, open the pod bay doors. Right, yeah, exactly. That's right. So it was a picture of the inside of that spaceship with <laughs> the bloke uh, getting sucked out of an open door. And uh, he's going, no, Open close the pod bay doors, Hal. <laughs> doors, Hal. Anyway, I'm afraid I can't do that. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so play that again. I was okay. talking over it. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That is so cool, isn't it? What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. There we go. That's our future. Uh, <laughs> that is it's the AI. future. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah. So th that we discussed about uh, uh, the possibility that uh, a report was uh, received by some journalists that uh, AI-driven dr drones had failed to respond to the army's inputs and started doing their own thing. <laughs> so we we construct, constructed some artwork for the day the drones turned with some uh, army general holding his head. <laughs> as all like the drones turned around. Very scary-looking drones too, man. They are very scary. Absolutely. So that one won through the day the drones turned. Ooh. Very, very good. I love it. I love the uh, what uh, Mid Journey uh, pictures in its in its machine mind. Uh, you know, uh, for what a, a general's uniform should look like. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not a modern absolutely. One. Although I did tell it that I wanted to see his back, uh, and I actually had to do this with with two pictures. So the the, the general is uh, a cutout from one picture and then pasted on the other. But you know, you, it, it's a fantastic tool for getting unusual images, and I, I love it. I love the way it works. Yeah, I, I love what what you're doing with it. Uh, looks great. Um, all Jeff, right. What have you been doing? Good. What have I been doing? Well, good question. 
Uh, I flew a couple of times uh, during the week. It was just an overnight to Memphis, I think. I got yes, some good, yep, uh, good some barbecue, ribs yep. on Beale Street. And uh, then uh, a couple of days off. And then I just did a, yesterday, I did a out and back to uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, that's pretty much it. Not a lot of flying this week. Three legs to, total. Uh, one of them a deadhead leg. So I only actually flew two flights this week and i'm loving it <laughs> this is a lot of excellent lot well of done you dodged a lot of bad weather yeah. too i did uh yeah i managed to avoid a lot of uh a lot of weather by not doing a lot of flying this week it's been kind of crappy weather here in the southern united states uh, southeastern united well actually all over the country but really concentrated in the in the uh in the southern states uh, this past week and so I thought, you know, I'm good. I'll just stay here and do something else. Um, of course, I did my um, my singing. I'm singing! On the uh, uh, weekend, <laughs> last weekend, and also today. I've already done one mass, believe it or not, uh, earlier this morning. A special uh, memorial mass. You did one me. singing. Well, I just did one singing. Yeah. Well, I actually okay. sang more than once. You're going to uh, be extra holy this weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm going to. Well, I, you know, Liz is saying I'm going to be extra holy this weekend. Yeah. So it'll be a total of <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six masses. Uh, wow. I'm hoping that it has their some effect on, you. Uh, you know, my time in purgatory. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure it will. require a lot of time. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, so... Did you want to talk about the uh, Oshkosh thing? The uh, uh, Oshkosh thing. You know, yes. the Oh, the Sim Venture. Yes, Sim Venture. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So uh, I was contacted by Kevin, as I mentioned in the last couple of shows, uh, for us to, to mention Sim Venture, which is your way to kind of get prepared, if you're, uh, especially if you're going to be flying into Oshkosh. Uh, and it's uh, using simulator technology and real air. Well, you know what? I shouldn't tell you much more about it because in this little commercial that Kevin sent me, uh, it explains it all. And so, uh, again, we'll start with what he sent me. And uh, Find Oshkosh this year or know someone who is. The famous Fisk arrival and air venture can be very complex, busy, and fast-paced. Okay, so I'm thinking that's that's nice. It's very informative. I just cut it off here after the first six seconds. I thought, you know, I think that I can sweeten it up a little bit and uh, make it a little bit more interesting. And uh, so here is the my sweetened version. Flying to Oshkosh this year or know someone who is? The famous Fisk arrival and air venture can be very complex, busy, and fast-paced. Okay, so I played that last week. And, oh, by the way, I never got any uh, hate mail from Kevin or anybody over at Pilot Edge, so I guess we're okay. Um, but Nick mentioned he started criticizing it saying, you know what? I don't think you've done enough sweetening, Jeff. You need, need to, to do be sweeter. something more. It needs to be sweeter for sure. And so uh, Nick uh, poured his creative juices, which can be messy, uh, <laughs> into it. this whole thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so this is the latest version uh, uh, via uh, Nick's uh, touches. Get out the way! <laughs> Help. 
flying to Oshkosh this year, or know someone who is? The famous disc arrival in AirVenture can be very complex, busy, and fast-paced. Whether you're a rookie or a veteran, everyone can benefit from some training and proficiency prior to following the railroad tracks and rocking their wings. Luckily, you can prepare ahead of time using your home flight simulator. X-Plane 11 Microsoft Flight Sim 2020, prepared or FSX, is your gateway to participate in SimVenture. SimVenture is put on by Pilot Edge and has the actual Oshkosh air traffic controllers volunteering for your benefit to help you prepare for AirVenture. It all happens July 13th through 16th. Visit piloteedge.net slash simventure to learn more. That was great. Okay. Now, if if there's ever going to be any hate mail from Kevin and the Pilot Edge, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be coming soon. Uh, yeah, and we probably deserve it this time. Yeah, yeah, we do. Very good, very good. Okay, so, um, again, um, check out the uh, Pilot Edge dot is it net oh shoot i should probably have this written down somewhere um they talk about it in their little commercial there pilot edge dot something they'll find it <laughs> sim just do a search for sim venture s-i-m-v-e-n-t-u-r-e it's on the pilot edge website uh, for more information about sim venture 2023 and I do apologize, guys, for that latest version of your commercial. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't. I okay. You, you, you've got to put up with it if you're going to have an advert on our show. Coffee yeah. time. Next time, you got to pay us a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's time now for some coffee. The Coffee Fund. Your way to support the show financially. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, oh yeah. yeah that coffee, I love it, and the beer, and our community, our wonderful community out there, especially those of you who are part of the Coffee Fun Cadre or the Coffee Bar Club. And uh, a couple different ways you can do that. Uh, one is the Coffee Fun Classic Method. And since the last show, we have three people who made very generous donations. Uh, we have uh, Rich Adams and uh, Cameron Brister and Ernest Eaton. And uh, let's see, Cameron says, ABG Crew, thanks for the excellent show. I appreciate your dedication to regular episodes and quality content. Enjoy a cup of coffee or two on me. Nice. Best regards, Cameron. We Thank like you, being Cameron. regular. Yeah, we do like being regular. It's a regular is a good thing. Uh, and then uh, Ernest Eaton uh, sent in this little note, playing catch-up, long overdue. Keep up the great podcast. Ernie. Thank you, oh, Ernie. Nice, Ernie. I do appreciate the notes. Uh, so if you use the Coffee Fun Classic method, you can uh, put a little note in there if you'd like. And we'll read it on note. the show. Yeah, love note. Yeah, the the lovier the better, actually, and more of a chance that we'll read it. Uh, just kidding, we'll read it anyway. Um, What's the other method, the Jeff? Other way to um, be part of our coffee fund cadre is uh, to be a patron of the show via Patreon dot com. And since the last episode, I'm just trying to find the stream art thing so I can see. There it is. There's the slide. Um, since the last episode, wow, we had some uh, people take action and uh, sign up as patrons. 
Uh, we have two new producers, Kit M and Jean Zank. I love Kit. That's a great name. Kit, that's and Jean, great, yeah. that's a nice name too. And then we have a new executive producer, Robert Hussey. So thank you very much for that. All right, so it's going to be a little jerky there. Sorry. Um, and uh, we do appreciate the fact that you guys signed up as patrons of the show. So, hey, if you're out there wondering, what the heck? I'd like to support the show financially, too. Head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. And, you know, as we say, you'll be glad you did. And we will, too. All right. And now, time. I think we're going to go go plain tail just because we're just coming up on two hours now. Yeah, we're coming up on the two hour mark. Um, So, don't want to miss a plain tail. We definitely don't want to miss a plain tail. It's been a while since we've had one. So, this is really nice. Special. Um, Yeah, very special. (laughs) And and just for the record, I mean, if you want to do one every two months or every year or whatever, I don't care. Um, As long as we get the, I don't want you to stop doing them forever. So, I I, I won't, but I, I, I may not stick to a, particular schedule there you go that's Sounds perfect because then we don't we won't expect it it'll be and nice surprise get one like this it'll be a wonderful surprise so without further ado we're going to go ahead and jump right to the old pilot's plain tales in this week's episode entitled the risk takers take it away old pilot the old pilot's plain tales the risk takers or the old Comanchean rides again. So you want to be an airline pilot. You want to travel the world, visit strange and exotic countries, and immerse yourself in the wonders of foreign cultures. You want to make a good living, bring up a family, and plan for a wonderful retirement, driving your luxurious RV around the wide open spaces of your beloved country. Has it crossed your mind that your chosen occupation might not be the safest way to achieve your dreams? It's not like you've chosen to be a military pilot whose membership of the profession of arms brings a vastly increased risk of death, either at the hands of your enemy or just while training to fly high-performance fighters. No, you've chosen to be a boring commercial pilot, where the odds of you being killed in an air accident are 1 in 29.4 million, according to the NTSB. Dr. Arnold Bennett of MIT tells us that if you took one domestic flight a day, every day of the week, odds are you could go 36,000 years before you'd die in a plane whereas the odds of you dying in your recreational vehicle, with traffic accidents being one of the leading causes of death in the United States and many other countries, means that your retirement might be alarmingly short-lived. You have undoubtedly decided that wearing the dark uniform of a pilot while striding purposely through the airport, flashing your golden rank stripes to all the pretty girls and boys as you tug your flight bag along, is the way to go, particularly with those odds. It's not like you're going to want to be someone who works with, say, motorised garden machinery. Oh no, not with all those whirring blades, chomping chainsaws, chippers and mowers. That's much too dangerous. 
nor would you choose to be a construction worker with its inherent risk of falling from high buildings, being crushed by massive plant diggers and the like, particularly with only that natty orange jacket and plastic hard hat to protect you. The iron and steel industry wouldn't be your choice either, with molten metal being ejected from the fiery furnaces at a mere 1,500 degrees centigrade, 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, to be pounded by vast mechanical hammers spraying liquefied shards of metal around. One job you would definitely steer clear of is perhaps riding said steer, or should I call it a bull? Professional bull riders can certainly rake in a good amount of money, but is that worth bouncing around on a leaping, spinning and plunging Brahmin crossbreed weighing 1,500 pounds and topped by wickedly sharp horns attached to a skull of mighty thickness? You might be safer off hiding underground along with other miners who dig into the earth's crust in search of mineral treasures, or perhaps not as they risk cave-ins, explosions, chemical leaks, falls, electrocution, toxic fumes and being crushed by heavy machinery whilst working in an appallingly dark and cramped environment. You definitely wouldn't want to be one of New York's finest in their blue uniforms facing the streets of a violent metropolitan city with their murdering gangs and homicidal maniacs. Nor would you want to be a Hollywood stunt performer who steps in when things get too hairy for the star of the show to risk, like leaping off tall buildings, crashing vehicles, fighting with real weapons, getting chairs broken on their heads and a myriad of other terrifying stunts that thrill the movie-going audiences. No, surely being an airline pilot has to be a safe and secure profession. Much better than being a linesman, suspended from high wires carrying thousands of volts of electricity in extreme weather, where the risk of electrocution or deadly falls is an everyday hazard. If you believe that, then perk up your ears, dear listener. Being a commercial pilot has consistently been in the top 10 most dangerous jobs in the world, and more often than not, amongst the top three. The only jobs that are regularly considered more deadly are that of a lumberjack and a deep-sea fisherman. But that small consideration surely wouldn't put you off. After all, it's not like you're going to be working from dawn to dusk flying a crop duster. All that buzzing around at the height of a telegraph pole, or even lower, breathing fertiliser dust or insecticide all day, working from semi-prepared strips and into fields surrounded with cables, trees and novel obstructions, all designed to be as invisible as possible and all prepared to bring you down. Nor will you be spending your nights flying alone through filthy weather in busy European airspace in and out of airports with complicated procedures for which your barely equipped, aged and tatty twin-prop machine can hardly cope with. 
Behind you, the cabin is stuffed to the gunnels with newspapers, mail and the odd demented passenger, whilst your money-grubbing and inconsiderate employer demands that you rush on, regardless of the ever-worsening icing conditions and your max takeoff weight. Oh, hang on. In order to get to that magical point in your life when you can start the nail-chewing process of ploughing yet more money into exams, instrument and type ratings, that's often exactly what you'll have to do. Unless, of course, you belong to a country which has a yellow brick road that takes you straight to Nirvana and the right-hand seat of an A320. Do not pass go, do not collect £200. The reason that road is yellow is because it's paved with your gold, or if you're very lucky, the gold from the bank of mum and dad. That road is safer, that road circumvents the years of character building, living life on the edge flying, that makes sensible people invest their efforts into becoming accountants, not lion trainers, and certainly not lumberjacks. I wanted to be a lumberjack, leaping from tree to tree as they float down the mighty rivers of British Columbia. The giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees, with my best girlie by my side. Assuming you survive your apprenticeship and are bestowed with the magical license that every career-making professional pilot yearns for, which airline are you going to pursue? Because it might make all the difference to your life expectancy. Whilst there isn't a CEO alive who won't tell you that safety is their first concern, their primary goal, the very top of their priorities, that doesn't always translate into reality. Of course, the reason that many dodgy airlines still attract passengers and stay afloat despite a disastrous safety record is the same reason that some people will always buy cheap shoes. Despite the fact that they know their shoddy footwear is going to split and leak inside a year, they will always bulk at the cost of a decent pair of boots, like the legendary R.M. Williams' handmade shit kickers. Established in 1932, a pair of these world-famous, in Australia, boots will cost you 650 of the local trading tokens, 430 greenbacks, but only £400 sterling, a sum that will seem insignificant 20 years and 14 million miles later when you're still marvelling at how your fine, gleaming, flying boots look and how comfortable they are. Mine have been rehealed and resold a few times and they feel as good as they ever have. Of course, there are a lot of variables to take into account when choosing your airline. You may be aiming at one described as a legacy carrier, 
But just remember, Pan Am and TWA were world-famous leaders of the industry once. Now they live in various museums and history books. And if it weren't for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, we might not have Delta, United or American, who themselves have swallowed up a host of others. You might want the best pay or the most convenient basing, but I wonder how many of you have considered the safest, or perhaps more importantly, the least safe. Airlines are, not surprisingly, a little unwilling to make detailed incident data freely available, so most observers rely on the blunt instrument of counting accidents and fatalities, which are usually a matter of public record. These numbers aren't put into the context of accidents per air mile, or even taking into account the longevity of an airline, but to have any accident on your record is obviously a black mark, even if there are mitigations. Leading the pack in both accidents and fatalities is American Airlines, with 11 airframes totaled with a loss of 858 people. However, Air France comes a close second, having also lost 11 aircraft, but with a much smaller loss of life. China Airlines, Korean Air and Pakistan International are all up there, but these are meaningless statistics, unless they are measured against some form of yardstick. The longevity of an airline is a major factor, since new outfits usually have modern equipment and have hardly been around long enough to suffer many losses. But by that measure, KLM and Qantas should be right up there, having been formed in 1919 and 1920 respectively, but they are not. KLM doesn't feature in the top 20 of airframes' losses, and only 17th in fatalities, and Qantas has been named by AirlineRatings.com as the world's safest airline from 2014 to 2017, and again for three years running between 2019 and 2021. On the other hand, from the United States, only Air Alaska appears in the top 10. When it comes to the list of airlines that have never had a fatal crash, the list is quite long, but many have been formed relatively recently, like Wizz Air in 2004, Aegean and EasyJet in 1995, whilst others have been around a little longer, like Sun Country Airlines 1983 and Virgin Atlantic 1984. As much as I would like to celebrate the safest bunch, it's actually the most unsafe that we're all really interested in. Not that, hopefully, many of you will be seeking employment there. Certainly not with Air Koryo, which operates out of North Korea. According to Skytrax, this disastrous airline with its ageing fleet of Soviet aircraft was the only one of 681 carriers to maintain a one-star ranking for four years running, and Kim Jong-un used Air China to take a recent flight to Singapore for a summit. Ariana Afghan Airlines might also be one to steer clear of. They currently have five aircraft in their fleet, but have written off 19 in their history.
Despite this awful record, it should be mentioned that they have only seen the demise of 154 people, and they've been around since 1955. Not only that, but they fly in some pretty unforgiving terrain and have suffered through a number of conflicts, which have seen their aircraft struck down by weapons fire. However, despite that, they are still banned from flying into European airspace. That also applies to another Afghan airline, Cam Air. Why are they considered one of the world's most unsafe airlines? Well, they have only been in operation for a decade, but have already managed enough fatal accidents to result in over 100 passenger deaths. They were at one time blacklisted by the United States for allegedly smuggling opium on civilian flights, a charge that the airline denied, despite having a fleet of the infamous drug-carrying MD-82 and MD-83 Mad Dogs. Papua New Guinea is also blighted by hostile topography and a lack of sophisticated navigation aids, which might explain one of its airline's disastrous safety record of seven deadly crashes since 1992. It doesn't appear in many lists, partly because of its habit of regularly rebranding, having gone from Milne Bar Air to Airlines PNG and now PNG Air. Yeti Airlines are another carrier which requires their pilots to have nerves of steel. Outdated aircraft, terrible weather and horrible hills are a few of the daily problems facing the airline, but flying around the Himalayas isn't for the faint-hearted. Nepal's 17 carriers are all banned from flying into European airspace, as the country has suffered 27 fatal crashes in the past three decades. Still, that's probably safer than risking a road trip through the country's most dangerous mountain passes, as 40% of those end in disaster. AirlineRatings.com have generously awarded a single star out of a possible seven to Yeti Airlines, Nepal Airlines, Tara Air and Buddha Air. Of course, not every incident and accident is the fault of the airline, even if it doesn't have a favourable safety audit. Tragana Air Service has had 10 hull losses and 14 accidents since 2002, and is another one-star operator. No, Texas being a Lone Star State isn't really a good thing. On one occasion, a Trigana Twin Otter carrying eight passengers and crew had several shots fired at it, whilst landing at Mulia Airport in Papua province. Both pilots were injured, which, perhaps not unexpectedly, caused them to lose control and the aircraft veered into an airport building. Four injuries and one death resulted. From police headquarters, Chief Boy Rafli Amar made a statement. We're really sorry of the incident, he said. The airplane was fired upon from unknown direction. Some bullets went through the airplane. Bullet shrapnels cut through passengers' bodies. The airplane landed imperfectly. The airline remains banned from flying to either the US or the EU. And remember... 
Even if you survive your accident with your dodgy airline in a strange country, your troubles may only be starting. Always join an Airline Pilots Association that can support you around the world. If your association can't help, call the IFALPA emergency number. Plus 44-1202-653-110. Do not answer questions from the authorities without legal representation. Ask the authorities to contact your nearest embassy or consulate to advise them of your detention. In some countries, you have the right to remain silent. Do not sign anything without legal representation. Following an accident, you may not be fit to answer questions. Discharge your responsibilities to ensure the safety of your passengers and crew. Secure the aircraft and or the accident site. Notify your company and ask them to inform the appropriate local authorities. Try and keep your crew together and obtain them rest facilities. If you are required to submit to a drug and alcohol test, ensure that you retain a duplicate sample for independent analysis. Produce your flying license if required, but do not allow others to retain it. Consider carefully the wisdom of conducting further flights. Obtain copies of all original documents and recorded interviews. Only complete written statements with the help of your legal counsel. If compelled to make a statement, do it in your own language, stick to facts and do not speculate. Wherever possible, delay until you are rested and in a good mental state. And be careful out there. Past performance do not guarantee future results. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> Absolutely, and all those caveats. <laughs> well, the only serious bit of that really was the last bit. That's actually um, pretty good advice that most airline pilot associations will give you if you ask for them. In fact, uh, our outfit used to provide a natty little uh, checklist which you put in your license back of your license so they always had it with you just in case you had to think about what you your priorities were if you survive an accident or incident in a foreign country yeah it can be a, in a whole heap of trouble yeah but it's an interesting i mean the the main statistic to take away from this is that being a professional pilot has consistently been the third most dangerous occupation in that's the world. amazing <laughs> yeah well if i'd known that i would have done something else i think <laughs> yeah. you better retire tomorrow uh, mind Jeff. you i think that's getting better all the time in fact uh, yeah. i think it's just around in the top 10 at the moment because it it kind of things are improving as uh, you know uh, equipment gets uh, more modern etc and things are going to be a lot safer pretty soon when I retire in a couple of months. <laughs> <No. laughs> well, come on, Jeff. Tell us, how many crashes have you had? I'd rather, rather not talk about it. Oh, well, really run out of fingers and thumbs, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had any crashes yet. I haven't, I haven't oh, okay. even dented or bent metal. Or well, anything. let's tap some wood. Yes. Wood. Before wood? we go on any further. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping for the best. Fingers crossed Excellent. and all that. Not, yeah. I'm not really superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. 
It's a little strange, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let's well, great. That was a really a... nice one. Uh, I yeah, enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Kathy. We missed him. Well, the old curmudgeon stayed hidden away for quite a while. He needed to be let out of his uh, box. He did. I'm glad he got a chance to come out from under the, uh, the, the yeah. rock. And, uh, and before you all write in, please remember that, that we should be taken with a very large pinch of salt. Yes. There he is, the old curmudgeon. <laughs> the old curmudgeon. There's the old curmudgeon right Oh, there. yes, with one of Pip's hats. Uh-huh. Safe jets. Pip kind of, oh, um, I think he's the one that took that picture of me in the uh, hotel lobby. Uh, that was for the 200th um, episode, I think. Wasn't oh, it? indeed. Yes, that's right. That was a long time ago. You were wearing a Christmas tie, weren't you? Or was, that, or was that something else? I don't remember now. Well, I think that was, yeah. Yeah, because look at the... It's a really old one. Um, but haven't you got the Three Kings or something Yeah, the, your it tie? was around Christmas time, or actually yeah. the beginning part of the year. This was the trip down to uh, Miami, because the, um, yeah, the, the tie, and uh, all the, the fact that we... Uh, or did you do that in uh, Photoshop, getting rid of the, the Acme... Um, widget um on the on the hat uh no i think the acme widget and the the acme stuff is uh uh is what you were wearing on the day i'm sure okay i think so too i kind of remember i think (laughs) pep took this picture actually yeah and your acme id badge yeah all right memories uh it is time now for some feedback Captain, incoming message. All right, here we go. We're going to start with number three uh, feedback from Mike and Mike Smith in Maynard, Massachusetts, our, our sonic uh, pilot. Um, when I was in, at the Intrepid Museum in New York City this past weekend, I noticed for the first time that the Concorde did all the other passenger jets one better. Instead of just having a skid to deflect a tail strike, it has a tailwheel. Who knew the Concorde was a tail dragger aircraft? And then he uh, sent in a picture to uh, prove the uh, fact that uh, the Concorde is actually a, a tail dragger. A very yeah, it's also a cafe awning for the uh, cafe at the Intrepid Museum, which I think is a little demeaning for yeah. that fantastic airplane. But well, you know, there the, you go. those Yanks, no respect. <laughs> yes, they right. Yeah. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. They, they okay. think of it as just another Airbus. Yeehaw! <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, you're quite right. I mean, uh, the aerodynamics of uh, Concorde were incredible. If you look at the history, uh, no one could work out how they were going to get an airplane that could go back to, to get it back to a decent landing speed. And uh, all the predictions were that it would be landing incredibly fast and it would be have to be at such a high angle of attack in order to generate enough lift to come bring that speed back that um, it would need hugely long undercarriage uh, you know improbably um, like stork legs sticking out the bottom um, and uh, it was only the amazing aerodynamicists that uh, uh, worked out how to uh, create the shape on the wing that would uh, form a ram's horn vortex, a, a vortex of um, flowing down the leading edge 
that artificially changes the shape of the wing, um, giving it much more lift uh, at low speed. Um, that allowed them to have a reasonably conventional looking <laughs> undercarriage airplane. But of course, uh, because it came in so nose high, uh, they had to droop the nose. And as an added protection, because the tail was so close to the ground, they put a wheel there rather than, uh, you know, some, a lot of Boeings have got a little, um, like a skid plate. Uh, got a little stick, a, a piece of old stick sticking out there. But I don't know. Oh, you mean tail like put it on the ground to keep the tail from no just to just to prevent the fuselage a twig, from striking a twig. the ground if they get a tail strike yeah it's like a, a tail skid uh, yeah skid that's the word i was looking for yeah but concord went one more you're quite right well yeah i think all airplanes should have that that nice neat idea the tail gear yeah i love it yeah me too okay, we should taxi around like that so yeah. great <laughs> <laughs> all right Let's jump to this one. We're really looking forward to this one. Um, a while back, Rob wrote in uh, and uh, he said he asked, you know, you've heard of chat GPT, right? The AI. Yeah, uh, I've never engine. tried it. Have you had a go? Pardon? Have you had a go at this yet, chat GPT? Yeah, I have. Remember, we taught, we read that. Uh, I asked him what it, uh, what, something about oh, the yeah. Elon Pilot Guy show. Oh, and it, yeah. Right. I yeah, forgot was, you did that. Yeah, it was pretty it, accurate. It wrote a, yeah. pr a, a remarkably, you know, uh, I don't know, realistic, accurate, nuanced, realistic, yeah. nuanced um, description of our podcast, and uh, I was I was kind of blown away actually. But anyway, uh, Rob, uh, part of our APG community, asked Chat G GPT to write him a new passenger announcement in a Shakespearean style. And uh, so he sent us the text of that, and we all had a good laugh. And then we were thinking, well, we'll just read it on the show. However, uh, we thought we'd, we'd do one better. We'll ask Captain Nick uh, to, uh, to read this in his best, I don't know, Shakespearean style. And uh, this is... Uh, I, I tapped my latent lovey. There you go. So here's the result. Good morrow to thee, noble passengers. I am your trusted captain, steersman of this lofty vessel in the sky. Tis with great privilege and profound responsibility that I welcome you aboard this valiant metal bird, our godly craft that doth take us hence through the heavens. We embark upon this journey, traversing the firmament betwixt our place of departure and our desired haven. We venture forth together, defying the earth's hold and embracing the azure realm above, proving once more that mankind doth not belong solely to the ground, but to the sky as well. As the sun sets yonder, we prepare to soar through the vault of heaven. 
We assure thee our diligent crew is at thy service, dedicated to making thy passage comfortable and secure. Do kindly obey their wisdom and instructions, for tis they who are the angels watching over thy comfort and safety. Now, good passengers, fasten thy belts, settle thyself in comfort, banish all cares. We shall fly as if on Pegasus wings. Fare thee well on our journey, and know tis our honour to serve thee. Sit back, enjoy thy flight, and let not the thought of our altitude unsettle thee. For we are but stardust, traversing the infinite canvas of the cosmos. Once more, welcome aboard. Trust in our course as we venture forth into the boundless celestial yonder. Beautiful. Makes me want to tear up a little bit. It took me ages to learn to play that piano piece. <laughs> I love that. You know, in fact, I think I'm going to incorporate that into my PAs from now on. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think a little bit of background music. Mind you, you've usually got the boarding music. What's what's it like on Acme? I can't yeah. remember. It's a whole variety of crap. <laughs> <laughs> do, do they play the going around song? Mm, I don't know what that is. The, you the can going, always go, go, go around. around. Oh, you go around. Go yeah. around song. <laughs> they try not to, to select that one. But going green, you know, uh, that's one. That's a, one of the popular ones. Of course, this one, yeah. they try to keep that no. one, you know, being played too many times. It kind of tends to uh, is, is that your air marshal shooting himself in the foot? Yep. Jeff, <laughs> yes, ma'am. You got just under fifteen minutes. Before I have we're to say, uh, I, if if that was exactly how Chat GPT produced this, it, it was absolutely brilliant. I thought it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yes, it is. It's pretty amazing. And was a delight to read. I yeah, mean, I, I can tell you enjoyed that. I love the music <laughs> selection, too. Very nice. Now, thank you. I was trying to find something Elizabethan. It's a bit hard. Um, a, a, a query. Um, how would you okay, pronounce, Jeff. we shall fly as if on Pegasus wings. Should it be Pegasus wings or Pegasus's wings? No, Pegasus Pegasus wings. wings. Yeah. Good. Okay. You did because right. I, I I am denied about that. You done right, but I couldn't be bothered to check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it takes so much effort to like just type oh, it in it Google. <laughs> yes, it does indeed. Yes. <laughs> oh, anyway. So thanks again, Rob, for. Uh, oh, brilliant job, Rod. Yeah, uh, thanks. That was so much fun in. reading that. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to skip to uh, number six from. JJ, not Pittsburgh. And uh, he says, first flying gig. 
I thought I'd update you mm. and let you know I finally received my first flying job. I'm officially a jumper dumper. Yay. Wow. I just leave out the backstabbing part. Uh, thanks <laughs> for the great content, uh, JJ, not Pittsburgh in Tulsa. P.S. I also want to throw my vote in the hat for another Tulsa meetup soon. Yeah, me too. I hope that, in fact, I was just talking with Sean the other day um, about uh, the fact that I need to get get back to Tulsa at some point in the future. And so, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing all my Tulsa friends, community members soon. And um, well, it looks like you uh, emailed a response to Jordan, Captain Nick, uh, when you talked about the uh, backstabbing part. Oh, yes. Well, I was a bit curious because, uh, you know, I've never been in this realm of flying before, but I, I did write to him saying congratulations, um, Jordan. But if you don't try and stab him in the back, how do you get him to jump? Um, and it was thinking about that. I, I've worked out how Steph does it. She Her landings must be so awful that they'd rather risk their lives by <laughs> jumping out of the airplane than they would and staying on and trying to, you know, survive a, one of Steph's landings. I think you nailed it. <laughs> I think you nailed it. Okay. Let's skip to uh, uh, number I assume eight. the same applies to Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, let's uh, go over to eight from Mike. Uh, he says, hello, APG crew. I really want to thank all of you for doing this podcast and creating the APG family. I'm 35 and in the process of changing careers to finally fulfill my dream of being an airline pilot. The Brilliant. process of getting my private pilot license has been a lot harder than expected, and you guys really helped me get through it. I'm completing my flight training while also keeping my travel-heavy 9-to-5 job. This means that the time I have for flying is limited, and I often have to ask a lot of my family so that I so that flying can fit into the schedule. Last September, I was finally ready to schedule my check ride. Long story short, over the next several months, I had five or six DPE, which is a designated pilot examiner, cancellations, just as many cancellations for weather, Midwest winters, gross, and then three maintenance cancellations. Fast forward to mid-April of this year, and I was beginning to lose hope. I never lost the dream, though. But after seeing the toll it took on my family as I repeated, repeatedly locked myself away for most of a day to brush up on knowledge for the oral and replan my cross-country for the 14th time, only to throw it in, uh, in the trash the next morning, I began to wonder if it was worth it. Fortunately, my wife has been a big supporter, and so has my dad. He would remind me that it's very important to show my kids that they should pursue a career that they love, even if they have to work hard for it. He wanted to see me become a pilot since I was a kid, so I didn't want to let him down. Listening to APG every week has also helped tremendously to remind me of the end goal. Hearing stories from the crew, along with great listener feedback, kept my head in the game. After my weekly dose of APG to keep me focused, I, I decided to continue. I found a flight school in Florida with sunny skies, no ice, and three intersecting runways. What crosswind? <laughs> and headed down there to get it done. After a familiarization flight in the local area, I finally did it. I passed the ride and was one step closer to being horribly abused on reserve in the right seat of a regional. 
I mean, living my dreams. (laughs) 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 I I desperately wanted to share the news with my dad, but unfortunately he passed away two weeks before I could get that check right in. Uh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, Now I'm not trying to start a philosophical debate or anything here. I just wanted to share an interesting story from my trip home the next day on Acme's sister airline, Delta. I've been flying Delta religiously my whole life, thanks to my dad, who was also fiercely loyal. And as a kid, I used to love getting those plastic wings from the crew. Now that I'm old, after hundreds of flights as an adult, I haven't received a set for probably close to three decades. For some reason, as I boarded my connecting flight from Atlanta back to my hometown, the flight attendant handed me a pair of wings. And we're showing a picture of that in the uh, in the live um uh, audience. Yeah, I, I I never knew that Delta had a uniform made of denim. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so what's well, casual Fridays? Oh, uh, is that uh, they have a special denim uniform? How, how I neat is that? Actually, yeah. I think Acme uh, should start I, that. I think that it's actually the plastic wings that he put on his leg and he's wearing jeans. I'm guessing. Okay. You um, think? I didn't think much of it at the moment. I just laughed, thanked him, and put them in my pocket. Personally, I didn't really believe there was much of an afterlife. I thought after that after our time on Earth was over, that was pretty much it. As I sat on the plane, thinking how strange it was that someone gave this random adult man traveling by himself a set of novelty wings meant for kids, I had a sudden thought. Perhaps there is something out there waiting for us after our time here is up, and maybe the wings were my dad reaching out to say, Congratulations. Or maybe it was just a coincidence. Who knows? But it makes for a fun story and gives me one more reason to like Delta. Just in case for my first official flight as a pilot, I pinned those wings on my six-year-old, who also wants to be a pilot when she grows up, and we went for some $500 hamburgers. We spent a moment remembering Grandpa on the way, and we listened to APG both ways in the car on the way to and from the airport. My daughter loves plane tales. She thinks Captain Nick has a great storytelling voice. She also likes Captain and uh, Dr. Steph because there's a girl pilot, too. Yeah, that's awesome. So thanks again, APG. I know a lot of work goes into the show. Us listeners out here appreciate you and really do feel like part of the APG family. Gratefully, Mike Grislecki. And he says, P.S., maybe one day when I'm finished backing up dump trucks full of money to my flight school, I'll be able to join the coffee club to say to say thanks more officially. Uh, thank you, Mike. What a lovely great feedback. Love it. Yeah, Absolutely great. Uh, awesome. I, I love his, his thoughts of where what might have instigated those wings. And mm-hmm. how sad that his dad passed just before he was able to make that big first step. Yeah. I, not really a complete parallel, but, uh, I, you know, my goal of being hired by Acme, uh, after I finished my uh, career in the air force, well, not really a career, but my time in the air force, um, I didn't get to share with my dad because he died about three months before I was hired, uh, by Acme, which is, you know, I guess now coming up on, uh, 35 years ago. So wow. hopefully, you know, he's up there. Uh, watching and uh, he's proud of me yeah Anyhow. i know our, our dad's been made so much to us and yeah. i think i consider myself so lucky that i was 
eventually able to fly him in a A340 halfway around the world. It was definitely one of my proudest moments. Yeah. And he didn't mention his daughter's name, I don't believe. But uh, no. so Mike, uh, Mike's daughter out there, if you're listening, we say hello. And, Hi. Uh, yeah. Hope that uh, you keep on listening and you become a pilot too someday. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to wrap it up with uh, number 17, Nick. This is oh, from wow. Sam Dawson. And uh, he says, the RAF is looking for Nick. Hmm. Apparently, through modern technology, the RAF has been able to identify the pilot of this Phantom and is searching for a Nick Anderson in order to collect charges for the replacement cost of trousers to each pattern number two due to soiling. <laughs> <laughs> So for those of you listening but, to the audio and can't see the image, uh, it will be in the show notes, of course, and in the chapter images. But if you can't see any of that, just imagine a, uh, a vehicle, a military vehicle uh, with uh, two of the um, military members on uh, perching on the hood of it. And uh, one's crouching all the way down and another kind of slightly crouched down with uh, headsets on and uh, behind them is a beautiful airplane, a, a Phantom uh, that is uh, very low to the ground and uh, coming straight yes. at them. And Eye-wateringly low. Yes. very. And they're very all staring low. in the wrong direction. Yeah, why are they looking that way? That's what I can't figure out. <laughs> uh, well, you get a clue from the uh, the words on the side of the truck, R-N-A-S, Yeovilton. Oh, So they're Navy guys does. from the Royal Naval Air Station. <laughs> so... Uh huh. I, I what, get it. Now. What can you wait for that knock on your door, Nick? <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, Sam, uh, for sending yeah, that. Brilliant. In. Good spot, Sam. Thanks. Thanks to all of you. Actually, that picture is part of my uh, my talk that I often give. Oh, really? Um, that very picture. Yeah, it's a very famous one. Then I guess. Yeah that that's that's my sort of interlude. If you a pee break halfway through uh -huh. the talk. <laughs> So, did you know at the time when you were flying that uh, that somebody was taking your picture uh, during that low uh, flight path? <laughs> uh, luckily, I was never in the Navy. <laughs> well, I mean, does it have to necessarily be a uh, a Navy? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a oh. Navy F4. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, that. That's his excuse that. anyway. Yeah. Back to the walls. Right. Okay. Destroying. He's sticking to it. Photoshop uh, can do amazing things to, to to pictures, Liz. You know that, right? No. So. I think that okay, let's him. wrap it up, Jeff. Okay, let's wrap it up. Wrap it up time. <laughs> You're the one that's got to get going. Let's hit the wrap it up jingle. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, let's. Uh, you're right, Liz. I need to. I need to get going. Uh, let's point you over to our website, airlinepilotguy.com. Lots of stuff there. Uh, information about the crew and the community and the community calendar and the merchandise and the library and more details about plane tales and. Uh, well, a lot more. There you go. Head over to airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, we're also on the social meds. Uh, and uh, Captain Nick, do you want to tell us all about the social Sure, meds? yeah. If you're, if you're a Facebook fan, of which I'm not, because yet again they managed to let someone bust my account, oh, no. um, you do a search for Airline Pilot Guy, all one word. And uh, on the Twitters, uh, our handle is at APG Crew. Very similar on the Instas, 
APG crew. All right. Very good. Thank you, sir. And we're also on Slack. And let's see if we can find uh, out if Hello oh, is here. Oh, I haven't heard from Hello for ages. Hello. Hello. Can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Okay. Well, what's new? That's that's. We're used to it. Come over here. Tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Uh, okay, be right with well, you. Well, if he's only shampoo, that's better than normal. <laughs> yes. And uh, thanks again to our uh, crew, our live audience that uh, joins us each and every week and uh, really uh, provides Oh, good a lot team of... this week, I thought. Pardon me? A good team in yes. the chat room this week. Yes. Yes, it is. And uh, also, big thanks to our producer, Liz. Come on in, Liz. There we are. Hi, Hi everybody. Well done. Kinds of information so behind I know the you guys. Thanks. Uh, now tight. Oh well, let's sign off and then we'll talk. Okay. And uh, I guess the best thing for me to do now is just to say uh, thanks for listening and hope to see you again here next week. Wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and talent, Douglas. Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline